All right. It is another stellar episode at the virtual bar on There Will Be Bourbon. Is that? It's bourbon. There Will Be Bourbon. Literally there my will own be show. Bourbon. I don't even know how to pronounce the word. Um, and tonight we've got Father Dan Beeman pulling up to the virtual bar. How are you, sir? Great, man. Fantastic. Uh, as we see Maddie take off and walk into the room. Uh, part-time guest. Uh, so before I get into what Father Dan Beeman does and what we drink, I'm going to first talk about what I'll be drinking tonight, fueling a few things. Uh, we got a little High West campfire, right? So not a bourbon. Let's be, uh, let's be honest, but we'll get to that point and why we're, what we're drinking it. Um, so it's a blend of two rye, a bourbon, and, a, and actually a scotch, which is undisclosed. So I don't know where it comes from. But honestly, if there's any way I can actually describe this, the name is about as fitting as it gets. It literally tastes like a campfire in your mouth. So. Campfire in a glass. Campfire in a glass. Uh, I, you know, the more you drink it, the more you start picking up on the subtle stuff from the bourbon and the rye in there. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something uh, unique. Uh, I am not a fan of peated scotches at all. And fortunately, it doesn't remind me of those. It's, it's very, very good in a very, very strange way. And then I will follow that up, sticking with the theme, uh, with the little Elijah Craig toasted barrel. As you are. You're hitting both of them. Behind me. <laughs> have you had this one? I have many times. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, it's, it it's hard to find around here because, you know, like anything good, people just jack up and mark up the price. But I got a guy. When it falls off the back of a truck, he gives it to me for the right. Price. I don't smoke cigars, but that's a cigar smoking. You think like, so? So I've, oh, that's another thing. So I've never really done bourbon with cigars. Like I always feel like the smoke is going to kind of ruin the bourbon. No. Yeah. yeah. Nah, I don't know. I don't, I don't smoke cigars, but I did <laughs> Copenhagen straight when I'm drinking bourbon Do you and winter drinking, I'm drinking beer. So if that helps at all, I did like straight, like, let's just no flavor. Let's just do it right. So maybe there's a, maybe there's a balance to be found. I don't know how you manage. So that's one. Okay. I'll get into that real quick. Let me, let me hit up the, cause it kind of ties into, you know, the world championship softball team. So let me give a quick shout out to the LFG. Let's fucking go the world champions for the second time in a row. A big shout out to uh, clay out there. And the, I don't know, right center, left center, uh, Alan Curtis, Matt Quinn, myself, obviously, the wall at third base. Didn't play much like a wall this year. A lot of holes in the wall, uh, but we can fix those with mortar and, and seasoning. All right, and then we got Aaron behind the plate as well as Mark. Uh, I think it's Mark S. Mark R. There's two Marks. One Mark, two Mark. So both of you Marks. And then we got Keith over at short. And, of course, Spencer at second. And Biggie at first, uh, picking up all of my throws in the dirt, mostly. And then, of course, the world's greatest team mom, Donald So. To you guys, another fine world championship ending Cheers. season. Congratulations. Let's go. All right, sir. Enough of that. So, yeah, that kind of ties into what I was going to say. You put in a nice solid lip before we started recording, yes? <laughs> and you're managing to drink at the same time. So once upon a time when I did, you know, when I, when I dipped back in college. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. So I dipped in college because I was playing baseball and – I think I may have told this story before, but anyway, if I didn't, you get to hear it. Uh, so <laughs> the first thing I ever tried was chewing tobacco, right? It was like fall ball of freshman year. And I'm sitting out there in the off field. And one of the pitchers who'd been around a few years, I think it was a junior or senior came up to me. He's like, Hey, you want to try this? I'm like, sure, let's try it. You know, I'm all about team cohesion and, you know, team building. So I try it, I try chewing tobacco and I don't get it. I'm like, what's the point? Right. <laughs> 
like I was expecting something like it's sweet. I'm spitting nonstop. And then all of a sudden, cause you know, we're pitchers, we're out there in the outfield catching or shagging fly balls. Guy up to bat hits a fly bomb over in center field coming straight at me. I look up at it I go to <laughs> turn to run after it. And I fell right on my face. Like everything that I was waiting for finally hit me all at once. Like that you buzz at the first time I just floored me. I was like, wow, that's nice. Um, but then I moved on to dip and we had like one of the guys on the team, his uncle worked for Skull. And apparently Skull had like a, a, a plant or something up in upstate New York. So he would literally just ship <laughs> like entire, like if you went to the baseball house, like the guys who were out of the bear or the, not the bear, but the dorms were out of the dorms at a baseball house. They had an entire freezer just full of logs. It was of any flavor you could think of that Skull made. Free to go, free to go. And so I made the bad habit of, uh, making cherry skull was my go-to absolutely oh. <laughs> it's so yeah, awesome. you just lost a lot of credibility with me on hey that. man look i i, I was you're, you're always... high at this point playing ball or like <laughs> so well i i would sit in oh god another great story so uh we would sit and we would have madden you know madden tournaments on the playstation and uh i remember one day we had been playing for like five or six hours and you're just getting delirious at that point. And I had, you know, had this spitter full. It's like halfway full of cherry. Oh no. You I did. You um, and then I remember one of the guys across the hall, he went to go get some sodas and he brought me one back and I mixed it up. Not so yeah, that, <laughs> that did not end well. It's one of the, that's why I say like, how I I've never, and what's what this ties into is I've never understood because I can't do it. How you're able to drink and still dip at the same time without missing. How long did you dip? Uh, literally, honestly, I quit as soon as I stopped playing baseball. So I was only there at that school for two years before I dropped out into an army. Yeah. I you just, it's a, it's a mad skill, I guess. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I think I started when I was maybe 14 or 15 and grew up, both my older brothers were ball players. They always dipped, but they kept it. They like my mom knew she hated it. I kept it a secret. I looked like the saint. They, you know, they had no idea. Literally. And I quit. Wow. And I started seminary. I was, you know, whatever, probably 26 years old. I was like, I, I'm the seminary. I got I can't be sitting around with spitters. And so I quit. Why not? <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, they're not into vices as much. And so, <laughs> so I quit until uh, probably like four or five years ago. And I'm hanging out with, all dudes who chew and I like I made it a couple of years and then I got to the point where it was the it was uh, Lent was starting and someone okay. said what are you what are you going to give up for Lent and I you know hadn't been dipping for 15 years and I said I'm giving up fear and I'm afraid to start dipping again because I'm afraid of addiction so I'm going to give up fear and I'm going to start dipping again for Lent <laughs> it's not what Catholics should do it's not the general premise. I love it. That's great. And you would have thought I quit at Easter but no I'm I, I'm I commit so still going. Yeah. Yeah, still enjoy it. So okay, well, there that's you go. Good. Okay, can, so what is your flavor then? You said straight, right? So I, yeah, I do Copenhagen Long Cut and uh, no pouches, none of that. Certainly oh, no cherry. Che I mean, I don't know how you got away with this. Uh, we're talking about women playing sports. We could we could get into that. <laughs> Look, it was good. I, I I also enjoyed a nice uh, spearmint long cut from time mm -hmm. to time. Um, I remember the other the big thing like my my coach my our head coach and two other guys they all chewed like grizzly yeah that's, that's or, the poor or, chew. yeah so they did grizzly and then um 
my coach, we had one of the guys cause the, the, the bags had just been coming out, right? Like this was, you know, this is 99, 2000, 2001. And I, I'm not going to say what he called the bags, but it rhymed with bags. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. So that's, so there was one of the guys, this guy, uh, I think it's Dyer, Ben Dyer. I remember he got like on, like on one of the breaks, he got in a, an accident with a moose. It was crazy. Uh, but <laughs> it was upstate New York, man. There's some I don't know this shit. guy, but I want to hang out with him. Yeah, there's some weird shit going on up there. And like, he was fine. He drove a Ford Ranger. The Ranger was totaled and the, the moose got up and just ran off. Like just, It's a moose. It's like it's like a 10-foot tall it's horse. With it's going to win. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that was like, so all my dip experiences centered around that. And like, literally, like I said, like I, I've been very fortunate because I smoked at the same time. Like I've been able to, my vices, I've been able to quit if I need to immediately. Like yeah. I've never had, I've been very blessed to not have like any type of addictive personality, except with bourbon, I don't I think, but whatever. That's all right. <laughs> That's not We've all, get, we've all got I, our chance. Yeah. I can quit if I want to, man, <laughs> but I don't. Um, okay. So yeah. Uh, so real quick, the reason I, I, I've, I've got, the father beaming on is because man, we go way back on Twitter, like 2009, like before Twitter turned into the, the absolute dumpster fire that it is today. How did you get on it? Like what? Cause you had, uh, it looks so from your bio, I guess you finished, you, you became a priest in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it was, uh, I, I thought Twitter was for people who wanted to realize they were at the same coffee shop as someone else at the same time. Like I had no concept of what it was. And so I relentlessly mocked it. And I was yeah. like, this is some, you know, idiot, stupid thing. I want nothing to do with it. And I uh, ended up, I was like, eh, let's see what the kids are up to. So I set the account and I didn't post anything for like a year. Yeah. And then uh, what I realized quickly about Twitter, it, such as this occasion, is that in Twitter, I found people I want to be friends with. And on Facebook, I'm friends with people I don't want to be friends with. <laughs> like, it's all the assholes I wish I didn't ever have to see or talk to again. On Twitter, it's like, damn, I wish I knew this guy. Like, yeah. I wish I could hang yeah. out with him. And, uh, and so Twitter was just kind of that place to, to make those connections. And, and so it, it started with more, you know, random, random stuff. And then there's kind of that allure of the tweeting priest. People are like, what's he saying? Can he say right. this? Does his bishop yeah. know he's saying this? Uh, yeah, that's the, I think that's been my biggest uh, draw to you is because, yeah, like, can you say that? <laughs> uh, I think that's I think the I think the honesty, I guess, and just the I think it's I think you do a great job of just showing the fact that, hey, like you're a real person. Yeah. There's not like some sort of uh, facade going on where I don't think and whether it's you or it, whatever religion you get in, I think people are assuming that you guys don't have personalities or like normal lives yeah, yeah. Is that something i think sometimes i err on the side of maybe a little more than probably <laughs> i think if my bishop read my twitter every now and then he'd probably give me a hey calm down but and it was the funniest thing is like i flew under the radar for a long time and yeah. most of my you know my parishioners the people i actually see every sunday had no idea mm-hmm. and then eventually i started seeing like likes and retweets from people I'm like oh crap i've got to see them on sunday <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess they like me. They're still coming. So. Yeah, but that's what shows that, hey, those people are they're like, that's what I mean. I think that's so, so many people, especially today, are just afraid to pretend that or not. They're not afraid to pretend. They're trying to pretend that they're not feeling the same thing as everybody else. Right. Like everyone's trying to yeah. put on this facade or this fake um social media screen up like oh i don't want to be on the wrong side of whatever's popular today you know what yeah. i mean it's 
and that's how you've we've created this fucking silly little cancel culture thing that I find the dumbest thing ever. Um, I'm a big proponent of never bending the knee to the mob, whatever side it's on. Just I'm laugh at these people because you, you can never appease the mob on anything. Doesn't matter how many far, how many centuries you go back, you never can appease the mob. The mob will always yeah. be there, and it'll just no, grow, right. and they eventually will come for you. And what how you react is up to you. Um, but yeah, and I, I think that's like the one of the coolest things I, I've seen about you is that you are very genuine and you give off a very approachable persona. And you know, you're for lack of a better term, you're just like the rest of us, man. <laughs> I, I hope so. I am in, in in many ways. So it's uh, it's also kind of cool to have a world where many people that I follow or that follow me have no concept of the church. And so, yeah. you know, yeah, I also want to show a good side of the church and want to show the beauty of the church, but I also want to show that it's approachable and that it, you don't have to be a 90 year old woman praying a rosary all the time to be, a, to, to be intrigued by things of faith. So I, I try to find that blend and sometimes I do well, sometimes I mess up. How, how'd you get in there? Cause I, you know, going through your bio, you've done a lot, you did a lot before you went that path. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you worked what? Yeah, I worked uh, in the. I worked for uh, for a large bank, finance, so yeah, yeah. degrees in business and and uh, and leadership studies, which at the time yeah. was kind of a BS degree. No one understood. Now every college has it. Yeah, I got uh, my my master's in that. It's still BS, but whatever. Yeah, see, it is. <laughs> I always said, I said, what can you do with a leadership degree? You can think critically and work in small groups. Yeah. <laughs> organizational leadership is what it's called. Yeah, it's the exact yeah. same thing. It's just you know everything I already know without a formal name on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now mm -hmm. I got the paper. Yeah. Okay, so you did that. You worked in finance for a while. What what yeah. kind of made you take that direction? So I uh, I always kind of figured I'd go off and be rich and do rich people things. And I mean, Word. What everyone in college <laughs> thinks, right? Except for the do-gooders. And I was not one of those in college at all and had no priesthood was nowhere on the radar when I was in college. Wasn't yeah. even thinking about it. Um, really happy dating a girl. I was really serious about thinking marriage was on the table and, uh, and eventually just, I was working in business and I, I just kept kind of looking around and being like, these are all good people. They all want to do good things. But at the end of the day, it's all numbers on a spreadsheet. And, yeah. uh, and it just kind of turned into, there's got to be something more here. And uh, I was hoping that when I was going to go build wells in Africa for six months and get that out of my system. And then, uh, and then I found church was kind of my thing and I liked it and there was a need for priests. And I thought it'd be cool to do that. And um, and that that's of course, two and a half years of praying and listening yeah. and talking about it. And, um, but, but the business side, I, I liked being able to walk in, see a problem, figure out the solution and affect a change. And that, that's a, that's a good thing to do in life in general. And I, and I liked that side of it the best probably. So, so throughout that, while you were kind of figuring out that Pat, were you always going to church? Were you always, cause I, I think you mentioned in your family, you're the only Catholic. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a convert. So okay. unlike Mr. Under unlike Mr. Poland over there, who your whole family should be Catholic if they're not, they were at one point. I'm, a, I'm actually not. My parents, some of my family is, but we're all. I think we're Lutheran. I don't. I, oh, I, I I'm a very faithful person, but I don't. I don't go to yeah, church we'll, or anything. We'll you know fix I mean? it's, hey, takes, whatever. Hey, work your magic. Maddie likes to joke that we're JV water. Catholics. We're yeah, JV. Yeah. So <laughs> just take two more pours and then give me some water. We'll knock this out. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so how'd you get converted what what made you uh yeah, what's the rest so, of what's the rest of your family so they're methodist like methodist, standard. Okay. so i grew up in oklahoma so in oklahoma right, okay. you're either there's two religions in oklahoma baptist and not baptist those are the only <laughs> two and we were not baptist which meant we drank and we danced and uh <laughs> 
and I, uh, I do fan one, of of one of those. So yeah, I do one of those really well. <laughs> right. And, uh, but so we were Methodist and pretty faithful. Like we're a religious family in that we went to church on Sunday. We believed yeah. the things church people believe. We did not pray as a family. We weren't out handing out by, you know, we were, yeah. we were an average American Christian family. Um, but I, I took a history of the new Testament class uh, in college, which was a non-religious school, no religion involved at all. Okay. And it was entirely from the history. And, uh, and basically I started asking all these questions. I'm like, wait a minute, Peter got the keys to the kingdom from Jesus. Who has the keys now? And the professor thought I was a Catholic baiting him. He's like, well, the Catholics would say the Pope and he'd be like, Oh, he took bread and wine. He said, this is my body and blood. Like, why don't we believe that now? And he thought I was playing a Catholic line yeah. at him. And it turned out, I thought he was Catholic because every time I asked a question, he would say what the Catholics believed. And he thought I was a Catholic because every question I asked was pointing directly to the Catholic right. church. Yeah. And eventually he's like, I don't know. He said, you're from Oklahoma. There aren't a lot of Catholics in Oklahoma. And I said, no. And uh, he's like, so how are you, how are you Catholic? And I said, I'm not, I thought you were. He said, I thought you were. <laughs> and he looked at me and he was like, son, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're Catholic. And uh, so I, I intellectually converted, had never been to mass, okay. didn't know the Pope, never, never had a rosary, no exposure to it, but just intellectually studying the history of the early church. I, it was, I was just done. And, yeah. uh, and so that was it for me. And so not a particularly religious guy, believer, but not, you know, I mean, I was, no one in my college thought I was going to become a, a Catholic, much less a priest. Yeah. Uh, Do you just, find that there's a lot of guys in it that are that same background that come from the same way or is it? Most grew up Catholic or they could, or they had the same kind of a, of a powerful conversion. I would say yeah. a lot of them had a spiritual or more emotional conversion. Um, it's, kind of rare to have kind of more of that intellectual just based on your thought right. and, and then of course eventually the spiritual and the emotional comes but most i think it's the other order um i would say there are not a lot of guys like me who kind of came through a very secular life yeah. and then entered the priesthood most had you know parents praying the rosary with them every night or that kind of thing but I, there's a good mix of us um and and a lot of second careers what they would call us so had some job you know owned a house, paid bills, knew what life was like, and then went back in. So, so how'd that go with the fam? Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I remember converting to the Catholic church was a harder jump for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, went to, went to school in Virginia. So my parents called it my rich East coast Catholic phase. <laughs> and uh, when I finally went to the seminary to become a priest, my dad was like, I guess this isn't a phase, huh? Yeah. And I was like, no, I think it's going to stick dad. Um, they generally they're supportive. My parents love me. Uh, I, my, one of my other brothers was a college baseball coach for years and he coached at Loyola, Georgetown oh, and cool. Benedictine. Oh, uh, wow. So three Catholic schools yeah. and uh, he has not converted yet, but he's on the way. He doesn't know that, but, he, but I know it. He's on the way. Yeah. I was going to say, what, what's he waiting for at this point? Like yeah, he's clearly exactly. like, he's he clearly well seeking out a specific type of institution to coach at. So. Yeah. And I, and I knew every one of those job interviews, the first thing he said was, well, my brother, father Beeman says, and I'm like, did you ever tell him you weren't Catholic? He's like, no, I just told him you were a priest. I let them decide what they wanted. <laughs> so it's the old, like, not the good old boys network, but the good old priest network is what you go. Here. Good for that. So, so the anyway. seminary, what's that? Take me like, take me through that. What's that? What was that like? So it's, uh, I always describe it as a frat house with Jesus in the middle without girls. Um, 
Damn. And uh, <laughs> so, right. So it's, it's uh, you know, 80 guys living in a house uh, and uh, kind of typical, I mean, you know, you put 80 guys in a, in a house together, it's, yeah. there's going to be a frat boy kind of a mentality. Yeah, a little, it sounds like basic crazy. training. Is what it yeah. like. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Basically tra- fewer dippers and, yeah. Uh, yeah, bunks, yeah. but, but basically uh, the same. And I, I kind of described it from my exposure now to military life if you take like any of the branches kind of version of hell week and you spread it out over six years. So it's, not, it's six years after oh, college. Damn. Cause you already yeah. had multiple degrees at this point. Yeah, I know. Wow. So I was okay. in school until I was 30 years old. Uh, yeah. So you're studying, you're living together. Obviously there's a common mission of the church and, right. and becoming priests and, and that's kind of good and, and a huge variety. So you have everyone from homeschool kid who's never even seen a girl to guys like me who were nearly married to, you know, yeah. and, and everything kind of in between. Um, and you have the, the jocks and the nerds. It's, it's literally like a frat house. Like it's kind of just mixed. So what is the, like, so how, what's, Obviously, there's some curriculum, I would assume, but what yeah. what what graduates you? Is there is there a project? Is there something that you yeah. find a specific path that you explore? Like, how does this how does this go? So they kind of do an intensive program of formation. So you're under a microscope the whole six years. So you have a formation faculty that lives with you, that's working with you, trying to make sure that you're going to be a good priest. And yeah. we would say in the church, like the guy has to discern, which is a fancy church word for decide. Mm-hmm. Um, but has to discern that he wants to be a priest. And then the church has to discern they want you to be a priest. Right. And either one of you can say no at any point and you're done. And there's yeah. no, you know, it's, uh, so we would say up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Others would say it's up to the, the fate of what people decide. But, um, and so that whole time they're watching you to see, would you make a good priest? Would you not? Uh, and they're, so every meal is in common. So like you're sitting down at lunch and you say one wrong thing and a faculty member hears it you're going to be in his office the next day to talk about why you said that and what you meant by it and who might it have offended. And, um, and so there is an intensity to it. You're doing spiritual formation, academic formation, personal formation, and, uh, and a really kind of strong sense of human, like how do you get along with people? So there's a kind of these four pillars that they're intensely looking at. So did you find yourself in that office a lot? Uh, A lot. Spent a lot of time in that office. I was, as so, you imagine, I'm I was not the typical seminarian. Right. So that's something. So what what do they want? Do they want more of a? I hate to use the term robotic, but it yeah. sounds like that's what it is. Or do they? Or do they encourage? You know the 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 personality, the free thinking, the uh, as they long do. as you're sticking to this. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Okay. I would say. Um, I had one bishop who said he had a box of those um, uh, Whitman sampler chocolates on his desk. Yes. And he said, this is the church. There's all kinds of stuff in here and it's all very different. As long he as you rip this off from Forrest Gump. No, nah, I think that might've been a little something like that. Might've been, he was a Yankee yeah. though. He didn't have the Southern accent. Oh, okay. So he wasn't from Bama. All right. Got yeah. It. But, but I think it was that it's that everything, as long as you're in the box. Oh yeah. There you go. Elijah. Moving yeah. on to the prophet Elijah. <laughs> exactly. I didn't even, uh, I should read the story on Elijah. Craig. Yeah. What do you got going on over there before you tell that? So I'm doing very on message for you. So okay. Noah's mill, do you know this? Oh one? yeah. So I do. I do know Noah's mill. Um, I, I have some thoughts on it, but let's get yours first. Uh, so one, it's Noah's mill and I'm a priest and Noah, you got to go. <laughs> with the whole life. Come on now. 
Um, so I like it. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a high test. And so you got to be ready to kind of sip it. And uh, it's not an everyday kind of thing. Uh, it's hard to get. So I think for that reason alone, really? I'm kind of like, yeah, at least where here you, it is. Yeah. Where I was going to say, where are you at? It's uh, Virginia. So it's, okay. it's a small batch, but. Well, talk to me. Well, well, I'll get with you after this. I'll send you a few. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. No. So here's my thoughts on Noah's Mill. So. All right. Noah's Mill is made by Willet, right? Right. Willet, which I have back there, you know, they're famous for their pot still bottle design, right? So Willet makes a few things. They make that, Noah's Mill. Uh, they make Rowan's Creek, which if you ever look at a bottle of Rowan's Creek and Noah's yeah, Mill, yeah. same type of, it's the same characters, just Rowan's, Rowan's Creek's a little more watered down. They make Johnny Drum. They make Kentucky Vintage, I think, and then or something like that. Uh Kentucky spirit or whatever they make. Uh, and then they make the Willard estate rise. So my thing with, um, cause I went to this distillery for a tour back in 2019. Yeah. Um, it's a really cool property, but what they did is, uh, so they were, they were distilling and then they stopped production and they switched over to like some sort of medicine and then they brought production back. And so Noah's Mill was one of the labels that they originally were sourcing while they got their operation back up. So Noah's Mill was being sourced by MGP. MGP, which you know I bring up all the time, is Midway's, Midwest grain producers. They're out of Indiana. They source pretty much every new label that comes up. So if you, if you ever see anything that says distilled in Indiana, most you know, labels do that while they're yeah, yeah. You know, making their own product. Because you can't just make bourbon. You got to wait for time and age to take its toll and make the magic. I had a bottle of Noah's Mill in 2016 that I remember being the absolute most delicious thing I've ever had. Like it blew my mind. It was the first, as you said, highest test. It was the first barrel proof product I ever had. I was at a school in, in Kentucky and I absolutely loved it. And then I graduated with, hey, leadership. We, I graduated from my master's program, organizational leadership in 2018. I think. Yeah. 2018. I walked in 2019. Okay. Yeah. So that, and my brother sent me a bottle for my graduation <clears throat> and I hated it. Mm. Like it was completely different. So at some point either will it is making the stuff again and, and putting yeah, yeah. it in. And I haven't had a bottle since then, but I would love to go back and try it again. Cause I can get it fairly simple or fairly easily. So that's why I said, I'll, we'll, we'll talk after this. Uh, but I am encouraged that you said that because I want to go back and try it. It's been something I've been meaning to go back and try because sometimes, you know, it, it's not that it's like wine, but sometimes, you know, it's like wine. Sometimes you, you have a yeah. bottle, you know what I mean? It just, it is what it is. So yeah, I would definitely go back because Noah's Mill is great. I really love Rowan's Creek. Rowan's Creek's been pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty sturdy. And uh, the Willet, uh, actually, I, I shouted out the, uh, the the World Championship softball team earlier tonight. Um, they got me a bottle of that, and we had some, we imbibed afterwards. Imbibed. So I have some of that as well. Might pull that over just because why not? But yeah, so that's good. That's a solid, good, good it's a, yeah. It's a solid, and I think I have the same nostalgia because um, I've same thing. Like I think my first bottle was was around that same time, like early on, and uh, so oh, I think it was so good back then. Probably man. a part of that, yeah. And that was the the same thing. Whereas like it was one of the very few times where I had a pour and I was like, get me as much of this as I can get, <laughs> yeah, um, and 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 loved it. Uh, so it was a fantastic. And it was similar. So my second pour was Angel's Envy because again, on brand. 
Very. Uh, and I was the same way. Angel's Envy, the, the original distiller, very faithful Catholic, very good to priest, really good yeah. human. And then they sold out to Bacardi. And I, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, you really don't want to go. It, it, most of the, the major producers have, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of know why, but some of a part of me is just like, eh, I don't know if it's for the, the capital infusion or whatever it is. It's just to like have secure financial backings or whatever yeah. it is. I mean, but yeah, I mean, every, every bottle you see has been, there's a big parent company. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's bastardized, but it's still, it's, it's a good bottle. It's always a sturdy, yeah. you know, it's, and then angels envy is also, it's, fin it's one of the, so what most people don't know is like finishing is, is something that's become pretty popular and all right. So toasted barrel, right. It's finished right. in a second barrel that is yeah. toasted. Um, what that, what does that mean? Well, okay. So they take a new barrel, they do a different type of char on it and they finish the bourbon in that. And it creates a totally different profile. Well, angels envy was one of the first that I remember to be finished in port barrels. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So it definitely adds a unique flavor to it. Um, it's a lower proof. I think it's only 86 proof, 43%. Yeah, it's not uh, bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Angel Zemby is really, really good if you're into the port finished bourbons. And I'm kind of hit or miss on those. I, what I love, if I'm going to get a finished bourbon, it's going to be one of the ones that are in, in uh, rum cask. Yeah. So Blood Oath number six. So they just came out with seven. But yeah, so yeah. Blood Oath number six was finished in Caribbean rum cask. That stuff was amazing yeah it was so good it's very expensive but it's worth it there i have a limit on what i will spend on things because I, I i just hate the secondary bourbon market and what you know retailers do to some of the things that you know guys yeah. like us want because they know it um but yeah if you're going to spend 120 bucks on on a product blood oath number six if you can find it for that price would it's be a good investment yeah, yeah. Uh, so while we're on the bourbon thing yeah uh, we are What's your favorite low cost? Like just 30, 40 bucks a bottle. No one. Oh, I got something cheaper. I got four options cheaper than that. Well, give me. Well, okay. What is it? You okay. So Evan Williams bottled and bond. You can find okay. that anywhere, at least in California for between 13 and 16 bucks. Evan Williams bottled and bond. Right. So a let's do a little history lesson, right? You like history. So bottled and bond, right? It's the first thing that came out of, it's the first product to be legislated through Congress in 1897. The bottled and bond act stated that every bottle that was bottled in bond had to be at least 100 proof or 50%, right? Had to be distilled in one location and one distilling season had to be at least four years old and it had to be at least 51% corn. And that's bottled in bond. So anytime you see bottled in bond, it's that's not exactly saying that it's only four years old. It's saying that it is at minimum least, four years old, right? Because there's Henry McKenna, which also mm -hmm. Heaven, Hill make, Heaven Hill makes Evan Williams yeah. bottled in bond. Henry McKenna's 10 years, I believe. Uh, there's a, I got an old Fitzgerald back there that's from Heaven Hill. That's 15 years. Um, so that, 13 to 17 bucks. Next on the list, right? Wild Turkey 101. Not the regular Wild Turkey, Wild Turkey 101, anywhere from 18 to 24 bucks. Amazing. Love Wild Turkey Rye, or not Rye, Wild Turkey 101. It is a higher rye content, so yeah. it does have a little bit more rye than the, than the corn content, like uh, the Evan Williams. Um, the second one, or the third one, I mean, would be just Buffalo Trace. Yeah, just straight up. Yeah. Straight up Buffalo Trace. Those are my three that I will take to me or take with me anywhere I go. Buffalo yeah. Trace is by, and you know what? I will put, look, I love Buffalo Trace. It's my favorite distillery. I finally got to visit it courtesy of Maddie and some of her connections back in December. It is a national historic landmark. Everyone should go visit Buffalo Trace. Go. Yeah, but Buffalo Trace 
on its own, just the, the regular bottle that you can get from 21 to $25, mm-hmm. I will put that on with anything that you can pick up. And anything wow. that comes from Buffalo Trace, like Rock Hill Farms, right? $40 bottle that's gone on the secondary market for upwards of $400, uh, which is behind me. What else we got? Elmer T. Lee, same thing. This bottle was $30 at the effing piece, uh, the, the class six at Fort Knox <laughs> in Kentucky. Now, same thing, $300 anywhere you can fucking find yeah. it. Yeah. Um, all those products, Colonel Taylor, same thing. It's a $30 bottle. Now the distillery sells it for $43 if they're selling it that week, right? All of these things that are kind of like the, what's the word? Not, not like the, we're not at the Pappy Van Winkle level, but we're kind right, of yeah, like yeah. at the mid, the mid, I think they're lower tier to be honest. They are, but they've just been upsold to be something that they're not. Buffalo Trace in my mind is still better than all of them with the exception of Rock Hill Farms. If you get a bottle of Rock Hill Farms, that stuff is amazing. Like it, it's, yeah. it is delicious. And if you can get it for the retail price of, you know, 40 to 50 fine yeah. but you're not going to find it for you're that unless yeah, yeah i got lucky at a bevmo three years ago and you know fortunately like the thing with major liquor stores is if they sell it they're they kind of have to sell it at msrp or a few bucks yeah, yeah. Retail, right so i got it for like 49 or 54 or something like that but my all-time favorite um and because you said 30 to 40 dollars it's just above that is stag jr yeah i, yeah. Every, I have every i have uh i have a bunker all right <laughs> now even this has caught wind so people have caught wind of stag jr now and this has all happened within the last nine months so now stag jr is going from 120 to 300 and it doesn't it never should have it was always a 49 dollars bottle right maybe you can find it for 59 maybe some of these higher end grocery stores will sell it for 60 to 70 but now all these like msrp markup retailers have figured out oh they like they like the stag junior and it's buffalo trace products let's mark it up mark it up mark it up, mark it up. yeah and so and, and then you get into the buffalo trace antique collection which you'll never find for retail ever unless you just know somebody who yeah you know what i mean and that's what sucks because you don't really get to buy those bottles anymore you kind of have to find a good bar that has them uh and, and good pours and what i was recently find like because here i am in napa there's a place downtown um colonel taylor baylor or Colonel Taylor barrel proof. I was finally able to have 18 bucks a shot. That's what I would expect. Now, if I go to some other, like if I go to Vegas or an LA or like a major city, you're going to spend yeah. probably 60 to $70 on that. And you yeah, shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't have to, but that is, it is what it is. So to finally taste that for 18 bucks, that Colonel Taylor barrel proof was some of the best stuff I've had in a long time. So the Colonel Taylor like reminds me of a, so I, marriage is doing a marriage preparation thing for a couple mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where like i'd done it for the groom's brother and then his family you, you kind of become the family priest whether you want to or not and actually right. this is a fantastic <laughs> family and so the bride and groom they're supposed to get married in new york city COVID happens they have to move the wedding a couple of times so i drive up to new jersey to see the bride's family uh to, to meet them and do the preparations so this is before the, the wedding is even happening and just spend a day with them kind of preparing for marriage and doing all the what we call formation, preparation for marriage mm-hmm. and counseling yep. and all that stuff. And uh, the groom's or the bride's father is uh, an incredible story of rags to riches, just like came over here as an immigrant and is now a multimillionaire in New York City. That's awesome. And, I mean, and uh, so I'm at his like, insanely beautiful beach house in, in New Jersey, of all places, where you don't think there's anything beautiful. But that's is. where I was born. So I'm there. You go. <laughs> See, like I said, there's nothing beautiful there. <laughs> and, and, so, uh, and, uh, and he goes, yeah, I don't really drink bourbon, um, 
but I heard you like bourbon. So I, I called a guy and he, and I walk in and there's Colonel Taylor and there's Pappy and there's, I mean, it's, and he's got it all laid out. And I'm like, I'm a guest in their home. I actually yeah. have a job to do. Yeah. And I need to be able to wake up tomorrow morning and drive home and say mass when I get home. Like, I'm like, this is a bad combination of, and he's like, so which of these do you want? I'm like, I want all of them. I want all of them right now. And I, and I need to have like a couple of pours and go to bed. And this yep. is not like the plan I want tonight, but I cannot get drunk in your house when I just met you and I'm doing the wedding for your daughter. Right. And uh, so I was like, let's just have a little taste of a couple of these. I'm like, are you going to open these all? He's like, well, I mean, I just bought them because you were here. And I'm like, oh God, this awesome. is horrible. Like, and, and I want to be like, you don't know what you have here. Yep. I should take it exactly. all from you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but that's the, that's the other thing is like, you know, people are just so accustomed to a, like Pappy somehow created this ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and then that's also created kind of like, cause people started to figure out, Oh, what else does Buffalo trace make? Right. The Weller line, right. Which is everyone always says is kind of Buffalo or Pappy, but a little younger. Yeah. Um, cause it's still weeded. Cause that's what Pappy Van Winkle is. It's a weeded bourbon. Right. So they replace rye with wheat. Uh, it's still got the primary mash bill of corn. Um, but what they figured out with, with, with the Weller line is all these people who were so adamant about finding Pappy, they're like, well, wait a minute, here's Weller that Buffalo trace makes. It's gotta be the same thing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, now Weller stuff that was, you know, 1920 looks, they've jacked up the regular Weller reserve line from just something that's $19, a bottle MSRP to where that goes for 60 to 70, you yeah. know, the, the Weller, the antique 107, the red label right? That's, you know, 30 bucks. I think I've gotten, my parents got it for me a few years ago in Montana. Cause they're selling it at MSRP. Even that goes for 200 bucks. And then you start creeping up and see, you get into the weather, the foolproof, the 12 year, the, the single barrel. And it's just things that don't need to be as expensive as they are. Just, <laughs> it is stupid. And uh, so one of the, one of the cool things, and I don't know if this is going to affect anything hopefully it does, but it's not going to be for years. So when I was at Buffalo trace, you know, they, they point out that, you know, they're expanding their property. So I'm trying to remember who owns Buffalo trace. I don't know if it's, uh, what's that? It's a major foreign company. Just like you said, I don't know if it's anyway. So they got like a $2 billion investment to go ahead and, and expand their, their operation. Right. So yes, they've increased operations in terms of distilling, but they've also, they're, they're building a new storage house or a storage facility, essentially, uh, over the hill where they're at and they're building a new one basically every three months. So every yeah. quarter they've got a new st right storage facility and that's kind of going to ramp up everything. Now, <clears throat> like I asked the guy, I'm like, because to me, I, I get how bourbon works at this point. The magic comes from the storage facility and the location. Yeah. And so, you know, they've been distilling there since the, the late 1700s. Like they've been doing this a while. So materials matter, right? So they're no longer making like brick warehouses. They're making this new high-end state-of-the-art shit. Yeah, so yeah. my question was like, how is that going to affect A, not only the aging process, but the flavor profile, right? Yeah. Because if you're, if you've got a, if you're no, if you're famous for warehouse H, that's like the famous warehouse on Buffalo trace, because it's a brick building or, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wooden facility that has varying temperatures because of it. And now you put that in a, in, into a, this new high end state of the art facility. That's got a constant climate control. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to I don't know if it's going to change the flavor profile or what, but I don't even know what they're going to put in there. 
but I know it's going to increase the product availability. Is that going to yeah. finally lower prices? I don't know that either. I would, I would love to, because if you look yeah. at MSRP, a 23 year old bottle of Pappy Van Winkle should go buy MSRP for $229. If you can find that for less than 6,000 anywhere, buy right. it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's absolutely insane. It's insane. It's, that, that markup makes no sense. And I did, I've never had the 23 year. I did have the 20 year in Vegas for like 60 bucks a shot back in 2014. So this was still like the bourbon boon was coming, but it hadn't really yeah. affect bar prices like that crazily yet. Now, and it, you know, Vegas is what it is. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I've had that and I loved it and I think it's great, but I'm also like, man, there are some things that I've had that are, they're better. Yeah. It's got such this, it's got such an allure to it. And it's, and, and that's exactly it. It's, uh, there it's, are so many the, things that are, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the women flying coach, but carrying a Louis Vuitton suitcase. And I'm like, dude, you could be sitting up here with me in first class. If you just bought a Samsonite that'll last forever and didn't have to do this. Like, what are, like, what are you doing? Like, what, come on now. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of that, so, uh, have you ever been to Vegas? I have been to Vegas. Okay. How'd that go? Not What's a fan. Go? Not, not my not my jam. Okay, tell me tell me why? Because it's one of my number favorite one. Scenes. So in my life, I have uh, there are three things I've never done. I've okay. never smoked anything: cigarette, cigar, weed. Not like, never Impressive. smoked anything in my life. Okay, I grew up with parents who smoked growing up. I hated it, and I never to this day. Clearly, I don't have an issue with nicotine, but never smoked anything. Uh, <laughs> I've never gambled, and I've never had a sip of coffee. What you've never had coffee? Never wow. in my life. How and is that none of these things are religious or moral. I no, just, not at all. I'm just, now it's a pride issue. I'm like, well, <laughs> shit, I can't give up now. So I just haven't. And uh, I said, I wasn't going to cuss on this. And you know, yeah. I can't. anyway, uh, and Sorry. so, uh, so, and so I went to Vegas and so I was like, well, is this the time where I gamble or, or not, yeah. you know? And, but I was there for a, uh, for a Catholic conference of all things. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and, and I just, the air in Vegas was not my jam. I was like, yeah. just, I'm not, I'm, clearly I'm not a super pious guy, but like the evil of sex always for sale at no cost, it, it just, it just was too much for me. And, uh, and so I, it just was not, so like the best thing about Vegas was in and out. Like I was yeah, like, well, yeah, so in and out is a great thing on the West coast. Absolutely. Right. So, uh, so it wasn't my, wasn't my thing. Uh, so, but I have been. So, okay. So let me, that, that's uh, okay. I got two questions, right? right? So a, you mentioned you had a Catholic convention or something going yeah. on there. Why'd they choose Vegas? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> Many of us were wondering the same thing. Yeah. So here's the greatest part. The convention was for training youth ministers in the Catholic church. Probably not a good look. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Not one of the major youth ministry organizations I work for today. I want to clarify, uh, but it was uh, it was one of these like, hey, well, first of all, conventions are cheap in Vegas. Hotels are dirt cheap. Well, yeah, and they it, let's be honest, you know, if it, aside from everything you already mentioned, the one thing Vegas does very very well is conventions. Like, yeah, they are the yeah. they are the they're the benchmark for stand, for service. Yeah, and people yeah. want to go, and if you do like to gamble, even you know reasonable, I, like I have no moral issues with gambling. I just have never okay. done it, and yeah. uh, and so you know if that's your thing, go for it. But yeah, so so they have a, a convention here, and uh, there was a bit of a kerfluffle when we realized there was a strip club in the actual hotel where we were hosting the event. 
So they probably didn't, they never did that again. I will clarify. And I don't think they knew that when they booked the event, but uh, I was, uh, I was a seminarian at the time. I didn't know what I was getting into. So where does the church come out? on? That's what I'm curious. Like, so what, what, what's the, is there some sort of like official stance on cities like Las Vegas and, you know, we take it, we, we take it out of the States and there, there's other cities you could highlight because oh, sure. I mean, Catholicism is obviously a world Germany. religion. So like, yeah, what's well, the stance? Half of, yeah, half of Germany is Catholic. And I mean, there's not a lot of uh, moral life in Germany. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Um, so no, yeah, exactly. So, you, you know, so I wouldn't say that it's, um, that it's a matter of, you know, like as a city, sure, go ahead and go, go to a conference you want to gamble is fine. Like drinking, we're not, you know, we're not opposed to we always say in the Catholic Church, all things in moderation, as long as they are not in, in and of themselves immoral. And there's nothing wrong with drinking and gambling and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I think the for me, the kind of the, just the vibe of Vegas, the idea of it, the mentality of knowing that you're looking around at people who think there are no rules in Vegas, like yeah, it's probably too much. But also the Catholic Church is everywhere in the world. Like that's the thing yeah. about us, the religion. Yeah. We're the only religion in the world that's everywhere in the world. Yeah, And so we're in every land, whether it's a debaucherous, horrible place like Vegas or, uh, or in the most uptight kind of Southern conservative, very intensely Catholic areas like, you know, so for us, it's you bring the gospel where you go. And uh, there's always souls there. So you do the best you can to be an example of it and kind of live it. So what, I guess, okay, this is good. Now we're getting into some stuff here. So what, what, what is your ideal like what what would you like to see if you could set every city off to the same right like this is yeah. father beeman what what would what does father beeman want to see when he goes somewhere? for the world yeah like what's so this is you i guess we're, yeah. you don't have to speak for the catholic church right that's a pretty yeah. bold statement but so what, <laughs> you know you don't like vegas i got it and i get yeah. it i i can i understand i totally understand yeah. and look i went to vegas for the first time in 2004 i've probably gone every year, if not every other year since then. Um, and I've seen a massive shift in what it was to what it is now. It's, it's totally taken a turn towards catering towards families. Like it's, yeah, there is everything that you described there. Don't get me wrong, but it is definitely a much more family friendly place. And every time I go, there's people with little kids. Oh like, yeah. Well, and I saw own, that in 2004. And, and and my it, own, my own parents, like that was their favorite spot to go. My dad liked yeah. to gamble a little. My mom liked a good show. They liked hotels. So that's I what I, yeah. That's what yeah. I go. I go for the, there's three things I go to Las Vegas for. Now, don't get me wrong. I do gamble. I gamble on sports. I gamble on football for the most part. And, you know, go for it, man. 10% yeah. to the church, 10% of the church. Yeah. Right. Got it. Well, when we convert, we haven't done that. Yeah, there you right, go. So right. That 10% is still going to my bourbon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I go for the fact that there are the greatest pools that I can just hang out at during the day, the restaurants, literally the best restaurants in the world per capita, yep. all within yep. walking distance of where I'm at. And same with the beverages. Like yeah. these are the thing, like everything that I want to do within walking distance is right there. Like those are the things I go for, right? I, I like to, I like to gamble. I like to eat and I like to drink yeah. very, very good. Those are the things I want to do on a vacation and I don't have to go anywhere. I, I can stay in my little sphere and not yeah. have to deal with anything. Right. Okay. So now we're back to you. What do you want? Cause Vegas isn't, isn't your jam. I'm going to venture that the South that you cited, it's probably not your jam either, just based on how you are from what I can see and what I've <laughs> known over the years. So, so what, what's the medium? Like, what do you, 
Where, what do you think we need? Well, I mean, I, ultimately, like, what do, what do I want? I mean, it came out of the gospel of Jesus. Like, my goal would be every single human in the world is a practicing faithful Catholic who loves Jesus and realizes he came to save them and, and is seeking virtue as a human being to be the best they can be. So, like, I mean, ultimately the goal, I would love for every, every soul in the world to be a practicing Catholic. Like, I think that's what God intended. I think that's what he gave to the church. I, I, like I'm an all out Catholic, like I'm a hundred percent, like, I think this is the best path for, for humankind, for the good of each other and for the good of, of an eternal life. So I don't want to like sell that short. Like I, right. I legitimately believe that. Like, I really think like I'm all in, um, and including my own family who isn't even Catholic. Like now I still love all these people who are of various religions or no religion at all. I have no, you know, I don't, there's no judgment of that. It's, it's, a if you have something that you believe is the best that you're willing to give your life for, you want that for everyone. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I, so I would, I have to say that first, cause it's true. It's the, it's the goal of any, any faithful Christian should be, you know, people are like, Oh, I'm a Christian, but I think anybody can believe whatever they want. I'm like, well, if it's the most important thing in your life, like, I mean, good God, you're in CrossFit, you're terrible at it, but you're in you, like you do CrossFit, right? <laughs> like you're passionate about it. Cause you believe it's right. You have to believe that that's something the people who want good fitness and want to be healthy and strong yeah. would that's be good. A, that's a great analogy. Yeah, I think so. so. Uh, and you're terrible at it and I'm a terrible Catholic. So like <laughs> it, it works, like maybe that's why we get along. <laughs> so, okay. So then that's my, that that's kind of, okay. You brought up two things that I really want to ask you about. And I don't, you know, I, yeah, I just gotta, go I'm just gonna ask them. So the first yeah. one is you brought up, you know, people no matter what their religion is and and so that how do you view or how do you go about acknowledging the fact that okay catholicism is what you you this is you yeah. you're you're obviously not ignorant to the fact that there's a huge world out there and people from all walks of life who have their own religions or whatever so how do you deal with the fact or like, what is your stance on people who think the exact same way you do about your religion, Catholicism, right. yep. as they do with theirs? Like, what's, is this supposed to be some sort of combative stance? What, you know, yeah. or, or like, so yeah. what, that's what I want to, that's what I always wanted to understand. Someone yeah. who is in your position, who's actually a priest, right? Mm -hmm. I don't get an opportunity to talk to you guys like this every single day. But what, what is your take on, you know, Islam, Buddhism, all these other yeah, major yeah, world sure. religions that have the same exact feeling probably about their religion as you do about yours. Yeah. So I'll be, uh, I'll go on the, I'll go out on a little bit on the ledge and, and answer it very honestly. Um, I have far more respect and this is not a jab at you, but in a way no, it is. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. Uh, I have far more respect for people who find a religion and follow it faithfully than people who say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Yeah. yeah and yeah. here's why. Uh, in my view, people who say, okay, I'm, well, I'm generally spiritual. What they're saying is I want an experience of God and I'm going to put it in my terms and I expect God to react to that. People who are okay. religious say, I want an experience of God and I'm not going to make demands of God as to what that looks like. I'm going to let God make demands of me because okay. he's God and I'm not. Right. And so I have a profound reverence for, you know, I mean, Mormon theology is insane. Like it's crazy. But Mormons are deeply faithful to a religion that says, this is what you must do to be faithful. 
and they do it. And the fact that, you know, 18 year old kids who could be at college acting like you and I acted like idiots in college are saying instead for two years, they're going to go to wherever the church sends them and they're going to yeah. commit two years and they're going to pay for it. Yeah. And go away. No, and I've seen that out here out in, in Northern yeah. California. There's a huge Mormon population. And I've, I've, yeah. I've talked to young men who are like, yeah, I'll definitely join the army, but I got to go do this first. Yeah. You know it's I mean? nuts. But, but they're allowing the religion in their view, they're allowing God to make a demand of them. And they're saying, I'm going to do this because I want this connection with the Lord. Yeah. And I think that that there's a deep power in that. So even in the religions that I think are really flawed in their theology or their understanding of who God is, it, I, I appreciate and respect that they are willing to submit themselves to that and say, I don't make demands of God about what my experience with him is going to be like. I let him make the demands and I do my best to fulfill them and I'm going to fail. And, and hopefully, at least in Christianity, we know that when we fail, God's going to forgive us. That's not true in all religions. Mm. Um, so I think from that perspective, like absolutely respect other religions. I understand them and, and profound reverence, especially for the more faithful of other religions who really let it be the thing that guides their whole life. Um, so, so that I have to say now, ultimately, I think, I think Christianity, and then to take it a next step, Catholic Christianity, um, there's a, a bishop in our church, Bishop Barron, who's kind of famous as kind of the face of the church right now. He does a ton of YouTube stuff, tons of followers. And uh, he says, he says, Christianity is it, Catholic Christianity is, is the privileged way. And that's not an arrogance to say we're better. It's to say it gives you all the benefits of a connection with God in this life to, to make you a better person that some of the other religions are missing some of that connectedness. And so I, I kind of have to say that um, I pretty strong views of, of Islam that are not necessarily positive um, because I, I think the nature of the way Islam views God is contrary to anything I can understand about the connection with God. So I believe God is familial. I call him father. I know him. I believe he, he sent his son. He took on flesh, came one with us, was humbled. Islam takes a different view of God as one that must be kind of appeased. That You would never, I mean, in Islam, you would never call God the father because that puts him in a familial relationship. So I, I think that's a, a view of God that I, and again, I'm sure 15 different people who are yeah. who follow Islam would say I'm completely wrong about that view, but I would take it kind of a different, a different view of that and say the gift of Christianity is it's a God who took on flesh and experienced everything we experienced other than sin in the world, every human emotion, every human suffering, every human struggle, and said, I'm doing this for the sake of you, not me. And so I think Christianity has what I would consider that privileged way of we, we know our God, he took on flesh, he dwelled with us. So I think I have a bias toward that view of religions uh, specifically. Uh, so, you know, you look at each world religion, there's a different thing to say, but the Buddhist who faithfully says, I believe this is what God wants of me. Um, and I'm going to live at my absolute best. And I'm going to be the best human I can be and treat other people with dignity and respect. I'm all for it because there's a good in that. that that's mm -hmm. a part of the human nature that is at its best when you live that the best. So, so, and not to go all the way back to where you, you kind of, yeah. And I kind of, yeah, but you didn't take a jab, but so, um, I feel like every religion has their moral code, right? Sure. Um, and so 
you know, I've come across people in a, I mean, I used to argue with you, you know, I've, I've been on Twitter yeah. forever. I used to argue with everybody about everything. And I, and I just stopped because there's, there's no point uh, unless it's just something I'm truly, um, I guess the only thing I would probably argue, it's kind of like you, like you were, I will only argue with people on the internet about football. Right. right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll only argue about a very, very, very few things. Right. And, but I just remember a few years ago where someone tried to make the case who I really love and respect this person. Someone tried to make this uh, case on Twitter about how religion is uh, at the cause of everything negative in the world and right. the world will be better without religion. And I'm just like, yeah. what yeah. planet yeah. as you tweet this from the comfort of your first world <laughs> democracy, <laughs> have you managed to come to this conclusion yeah. to where you can honestly say that the world as we know it would have been better off if religion never existed. And right. Yeah man, we can go down so many rabbit holes with the crusades, with all these things. But uh, like when I just said, what's your initial reaction when I say something like that? If, if you would heard that, like, what, what yeah, do you say? I do hear, I hear that all the yeah. time. Um, okay. I, I, number one, I think without religion, we wouldn't be here because the propagation no. of humanity existed because religions believed it was important, you know, and, and this was before Christianity, before even Judaism. I mean, or the early pagan religions still believed there was a reverence for having children, for raising them to at least acknowledge there was a force greater than them. And if you don't ever believe there's something greater than you at any point, oh, yeah. Yeah. why would you like, why would you raise children? Like there's no harder job in the world than being a parent. And I don't ever have to do this. Like mm -hmm. on my day off, I can sleep till I decide to wake up. No one's going to wake me up. Like, right. Like <laughs> I set my own thermostat and it's, always at least 10 <laughs> degrees colder than any wife or children would ever want it to be like I, there's like raising children is the hardest job anyone will ever have if you want to be a saint raise kids like there, there's no harder job than that why would you take on that job if there wasn't a greater good in that and and i think there's part of that is written in the natural law like the human heart knows that even without religion but i think when you look at the idea of absolutely no religion you have no purpose and if humanity has no purpose, it turns in on itself very quickly. And going back to Noah's mill, that's why we had a great flood, right? Is because people started turning in only on themselves. So I think that is a very, uh, it's a cheap argument that I think no one really sustains if you push it. It's, it's an inflammatory thing to say. Yeah. I don't, I've never met someone who with a pure heart really thinks that. I think what they mean to say is this religion causes a lot of conflict and yeah. conflict is bad. Yeah. And I don't That's like right. conflict. Right. That doesn't mean you don't like religion. Religion does cause conflict and it shouldn't, but it does. So, uh, so you, you mentioned, um, the Mormons and yeah, literally some of the, some of my, my, my best friends in the world and, uh, they're and also the most beautiful friends in the world. Oh, they're amazing. Like these guys are amazing. And a lot of them have, you know, I don't want to bring attention to them because they may not want it, but you know, a very, I guess they have a connection to the military and they've done a lot of, they, they, they've, they've burdened a lot of sacrifice for this country. Let's put yeah. it that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and what they've done. And, um, you know, they've never tried to push it on me, but I, I see how they, they speak of it and how 
and I guess it also originates with where they, they come from in the country. And it seems to be a very specific region that kind of takes to it more. And yeah. Um, yeah. Like they, they, they're, these guys are just great dudes and, and they'll all kind of attribute it one way or the other with very humble way yeah. of saying that it's because of their faith. And I just, I honestly, I've never had that. Like, and it's not that I, I, I've ran from it. I just have never been drawn to it, but I, I can respect how they are. Um, and I see that, but. And they suffered, sorry, not to interrupt you. They suffered no, no, no. incredible persecution. Yeah. I mean, incredible persecution. And again, I think their theology is crazily inherent. Like, like it's, it's, it's crazy in my view. And I don't think it aligns with scripture or who Jesus was but they are people who are faithful to it. They believe Jesus is their savior. They are, and, and they, their people have suffered incredible persecution and my gosh, the commitments that a Mormon makes, I mean, greater than even the most faithful, faithful Orthodox Jew or mm -hmm. Islam or Orthodox Catholic, like what they commit to is unreal and, and they're faithful to it and they have incredible joy and they're all beautiful. You've never seen an ugly Mormon. And if there are ugly Mormons, they're in the basement doing genealogy in Utah. <laughs> like, think oh, about your so Mormon good. friends. Are any of them not completely, stunningly attractive, male or female? Uh, no. And that's why I'm about to text one of them right now and be like, this is, <laughs> this is what I just heard. Because it's actually very true. These are great looking people. Yeah. <laughs> right? so. I don't know why that is the case. My only theory is all the ugly ones are doing genealogy in the basement in Utah. <laughs> All right. So um, now that I just touched on that real quick, um, but no, um, man, I, I, I do a lot of, I don't put a lot of stuff out on Twitter anymore that I really think, cause I just don't think yeah. there's a point, but I do, there's a lot of stuff I worry about. And uh, in, in this chat with, with, with these men and some others who aren't of that yeah. faith, but we have a good chat and we all kind of hold each other accountable and it's a good chat. And I, and I love bouncing off ideas to them, but there's something that's really been sitting with me lately. And I'm just curious. Um, cause I feel like the acceleration has happened, you know, fairly quickly over the last probably decade where we are. And I, it, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe you can tie it to Twitter. I don't know. Um, but where do you feel we are at in uh, the world? I don't have time to worry about. I need, I only have time to worry about the United States. Right. So where do you think we're at in the country when it comes to um, maybe it's morality? I don't know if it's morality. I don't know if it's uh, faith. I don't know what it is, but just what do you see? Like, have you noticed any sort of shift in what, you know, what you do every Sunday or, or is, yeah. is where, where do you think we're at as a country? Because I get it. I feel, in my opinion, I feel the media does a great job of amplifying uh, schisms between people, which I don't yeah. think are a hundred percent accurate, but I can't also just put it aside and say, well, that's not happening because it is clearly happening. Somewhere, right, yeah. right? But so I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective, what do you feel like there's more of a challenge on your end or, or, or where are we at as a people in your opinion? Yeah. I mean, I think my observation is probably what, what most people know in their heart, but they don't, but they still live differently and, and yeah. including me, which is um, we are incredibly divided. We look at everybody to say, are, is he one of me? Is, is he one of us or not? And, um, and I think 
And this is not like I grew up with Ronald Reagan as a hero, right? Like yeah. I'm, I, I, you know, and my dad was fairly political, but now he would be considered completely not political because he wasn't. It wasn't his life. It wasn't all he did. But he, but he made observations about the world. He believed a view that was right. Yeah. But his friends had various views. They did whatever they wanted. He loved them all. They were all still sitting around talking, drinking, you know, spending time together with their families. It is now so polarized, and everybody knows this. But but people participate in it, and yeah. and I think that that's that's different. And I and I think I think there there are a couple things that I've noticed that I'm most worried about. Um, and and there are ten things that could be ten different podcasts, right? So yeah, um, I think one the victim mentality. Everybody thinks they're a victim, no matter what. Someone has hurt them, and they yes. And and, and this is not just a leftist thing, although I, I think we no, it's it's everybody. Yeah, it's everybody. everybody wants. It's like everybody wants to be the victim. Yeah, and it's uh, and I preach against this in the, from the pulpit all the time because we're just as guilty about it as Catholics. We look at President Biden, and he mm-hmm. says he's Catholic, but he's rad, you know radically against the church on abortion and religious liberty and a lot of the things that matter to us as a church. And so we're like, oh, look at us, poor Catholics. Our president is saying he's Catholic and he's not. You know, like we do this too. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that mentality, but I don't agree with the sense that we're now the victim. I think. Well, then we as the church need to do better about showing why life matters and not worry about the president. We need to worry about what our job is as the church. Yeah. So, but I can fall into that just as well. I think the victim mentality is a huge thing. I think the lack of fathers and husbands uh, is a significant issue. I mean, when, if you, you know, and I, and I don't want to get into any kind of political or race theory or all that kind of stuff, but I think the lack of fathers in the home is a significant issue. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not stupid and I don't know, I don't think it's always a mom and a dad's married happily, always everything's perfect, but a father can be a father no matter whether he's married to the wife or not, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. a father who's committed to his kids and, yeah. and, and I think that's lacking and I think that's a, a significant issue. And I think the other issue that as a country, we, we're going to have to figure out and fix, and I don't know the answer is I think there's got to be some sense of how we deal with the radical lack of unity on, uh, and I'm trying to think of the right way to say this without setting off a spark, basically personal responsibility. Like there, there isn't any. And, and so, and that goes back to victim, but it's also a little bit of the sense of like, it's, and it's not even a socialist, the state has to fix this. It's, there's a lack of a sense of, I have a pro I have, I have the charge of my own destiny for me and for my family. Yeah. Free will. And, Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly the right way to say it. So I don't know the answers to any of these problems. I don't <laughs> get them right. Uh, and again, like it's not, you know, I think that's one thing is I'm in, incredibly humble. I, I, I'm attracted to arrogance, but I myself realize I don't have it all right. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know the final answer on any of these topics except for salvation in Jesus Christ. Like I get that part. Like I I'm sold on that, but the rest of it, I'm like, I don't know. We got to figure this out. And I don't know the answer, but what we're doing right now is not okay. And most of us know that, but we're happy to stay where we are. So from your perspective, and I guess what I would say from a, a Catholic perspective, Catholic, I don't even think yeah. Catholic's the word. Catholic is the yeah. word. <laughs> So, I wasn't going to jab you on that one. No, nah, I mean, jab, take it, throw them all, you know, <laughs> nail me to the cross. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> is this a time where you think 
God is maybe testing society or man or, or because uh, like, I don't think this is a unique period in human history, right? You thank know what you. I mean? Cause yeah. thank you. Humans are, we're, we're inherently flawed. We, we screw up every day. Yeah. We, we do yeah. all kinds of horrible things to each other on a daily basis. And God expects us to try and, you know, just do better tomorrow and ask forgiveness and right. God, so you're going to make a great Catholic, dude. You're going to be perfect. <laughs> you can sit front pew. You're going to be in my choir. Yes. You sing, you're going to oh, sing. You don't want me to sing. I'll rap, but no. I can't sing for you, bro. God um, gave you that voice. Give it back to him. It's give it back. Good. Here we go. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm out here, you know, doing God's work. So, <laughs> but uh, is it, does it just seem worse yes. than it? Yeah. And you think it's maybe you're exactly. And you hit yeah. the nail on the head. And, and again, I think it goes back to victim mentality. Yeah. So in my own church, like you just look at the, the Catholic church, it's never been this bad. And oh my goodness gracious, marriage is gone. And, and I don't just mean gay marriage. I mean, people aren't married and, and they don't stay married and they, yeah. and you know, there's the, the incredible suffering that comes through divorce. And then you add in the persecution of the church and then the issues against human life and whether that be everywhere from abortion to euthanasia and everything in between. And as the church, we're tempted to be like, oh my gosh, everything is crazy. And this Pope didn't agree with the Pope who was just before him. And there's all these different worldviews and Catholics are like, it's all coming to an end. It's all going to be over. And then I'm like, open the Bible and read what the church was like when they were literally martyring all of the apostles. Yeah. Like, this is the, this is human history. This is certainly church history and the medieval times in the church were a whole lot worse than this. Like we tend to kind of personalize it and say, Oh, this is the worst it's ever been. It's not. We have the freedom to worship in almost all of the world, not all the yeah. world, but almost all the world. And, uh, and we have a church that's centralized and our primary mission of a church, the Catholic church is the largest provider of good for the poor in the universe. Like the Catholic church does more throughout the world than any other organization, global UN, anything like we're doing fine. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. That's it's crazy. nuts. And we provide more aid than the United nations to the world. That's crazy. It's um, man, there's so, there's so many places to take that. So that's, I guess that's, so this is kind of something that's hitting personally, right at the moment. Uh, so you brought up gay marriage sure. and so what's the, what's the shift been going on in the, in the Catholic church on that? Where yeah. you? So, so, the, and again, this is like, you know, inside Catholic baseball, right? Right. So, yeah. So it's a, it's a, you know, kind of bring it down to a level for people who aren't Catholic or don't understand. Um, the church's teaching is that there are seven sacraments in the church. And so the Eucharist is an easy one for people to, or actually baptism is probably easier because that's more universal to, for someone to be baptized, you have to pour water on their head and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you don't use water, it's not a baptism. If you use, you know, if you use Elijah Craig, there you go. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. There's water in there. So maybe we can make the That's argument. True. It's made from water. So. Right. But if you use different words, if you say creator, redeemer, and sanctifier, because you, you know, whatever, you say different words, the sacrament didn't happen. It was never there. Okay. We don't have the right as we believe in the Catholic church. We don't have the right to change those things. They were instituted by Christ. They exist because of him. Mm -hmm. Marriage has always existed because of the natural complementarity between men and women for the sake of the raising of family in a natural way. Like males are made to be with females naturally. Now I'm not naive to this. I understand that the, the complexity, like I get it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not out there beating the drum and saying we need to send everybody to a conversion camp. 
I, like I, I understand that there, there are other people in the world who don't live this, this, this way. Yeah. Marriage as a purpose is for when God wills it, the procreation of children and the natural complementarity of men and women. So the church can't change that as a sacramental view. We can't change what marriage is. We can't say, okay, marriage is an expression of love. Well, I mean, I love you and I, you know, like, does that mean I can marry you? You know, we don't marry everybody we love and marriage has a specific purpose and a fulfillment that is meant for something very specifically. So from the Catholic view, marriage exists for a purpose, which is bonding between the couple of a male and a female and the openness to children, even if they can't conceive or even if they're past the age of conception. Mm -hmm. But at least that's the purpose of what marriage exists for, for the building of a family. So the church can never change that. Like we right. don't have the privilege. The Pope can't change that tomorrow. People are like, oh, the Pope could change it. He can't because we're always subject to what Christ taught. Okay. So in our tradition, this is what Christ did. I can't say you can baptize people with Elijah Craig. You can't say <laughs> that marriage is, you know, so we, we don't have the freedom to change that. Yeah. I think the question for the church is then how do we acknowledge that there are people who have same-sex attraction, who have found a sense of happiness within that, and desire to live monogamously because they believe that a greater good than not living monogamously and, and, and just sleeping around like a straight couple would do or a gay couple would do. And um, the ch I think rightfully the church is looking for how do we answer that longing of the human heart for companionship without thinking that, that sexual activity between the same sexes is something that's approved. Because there's no sexual activity in the, in the life of the church that's approved that's not in marriage geared toward the openness toward life, right? Like if you're a married couple who are straight, you can still sin sexually if yeah. you're not open to life. Like we don't believe in artificial contraception. We don't believe in masturbation. We don't believe in use of pornography. There's, there's a lot of teachings about the church that are very specific to marriage and what marriage should be. So how do we acknowledge and understand that sexual activity outside of marriage is always sinful in our view but still acknowledge the goodness of people who might feel compelled toward that in another way. Right. And that's a rough thing to wrestle with. It's hard. It's a challenge. Uh, and I don't have the perfect answer, but I know that it's never bad to put the ultimate end or good in front of people, even if we can't meet it. So I guess, I guess my next question to follow up would be go back to what you said is, um, <clears throat> there's a lack of fathers in the home, right? Or a lack yeah, of fathers right. with children, right? Yeah. So if those, if, 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 a, if a child is being raised by, you know, two men, two women, you know, there's two right. parental figures, does that kind of satisfy what um, I would say yeah. is something that I guess the Catholic church would look upon as favorable, whether it's because you, I mean, you said it that, you know, we don't look upon things as being, how did you just say it? sexual in nature, right? It's more about openness to children. It's openness to doing the right thing. So two men, two women, is that right. something that, you know, maybe is not completely sanctioned on, but is it's, it's right. at least viewed upon favorably because there is actual yeah. figures there. Right. Right. So, you know, the, the kind of contrary to the church argument is often, are you a child in foster care or a child who's willing to be adopted by two dads or two moms? Right. Right. So are you really saying this is that awful that you would rather them be in the foster care system? And, and, yeah. I, and I don't know that the church knows the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. I know that the church's <laughs> adoption agencies would say, we believe every child has a right to the ultimate good. 
And for us, the view of the ultimate good is every child has a mother and a father who love each other. So if we're putting a child into an adoption situation, we're going to put them in the best situation we possibly can. And the, the United States in particular, not everywhere in the world, but in the United States, the waiting lines to adopt a child for, for a male and a female couple who are married to each other is insane because of abortion. Yeah. And that's a whole different podcast, right? Wow. But yeah. because of that, there are couples who can't conceive who desperately want to adopt children as a church, we're always going to believe a child is going to benefit better from having a mother and a father who love each other and are in a committed relationship. So we're always going to seek to end that highest aim. So from a church perspective, we're always going to seek for that. And so a Catholic adoption agency is never going to do an adoption for a single man or a single woman, because we think that still lacks from what the child deserves. Yeah. We're never going to do it for a two men or two women. We're never going to do it for an unmarried male and female couple. We're always going to give them what we believe is the highest benefit to society, which is a mother and a father and a lifelong committed relationship who desire to raise children. We're always going to give the child the absolute best that we believe is good for society. So the church's answer is no, we wouldn't be okay with that. From a human perspective, when I look at a child in foster care versus having two loving dads, well, in that perspective, I'm going to look at that and say, the church is not going to make that answer. In that case, the adoption agency or the state is going to make that answer. Mm. We would advocate as a church for every child to have a mother and a father who love each other because it goes back to what we believe about the natural complementarity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, we have children. I'm, I do a lot of work with Catholic schools. We have children in our Catholic schools who have two moms or two dads. We admit them to our school. We tell them what the church teaches. We love them and we don't make them feel ostracized. We don't push them out. We admit them. We're not going to tell the child, no, you don't belong here because of who your parents are. We're going to say, we believe this is the ideal and we love that your parents love you, whether it's two moms, two dads, or a mom and a dad. Like, so we're going to, we're going to take a clear stance of what the ultimate view of human family is, which is a mother and a father raising children. And, and we're going to do our best to support that. And, and yeah, so the long answer is we believe in the good of humanity, but we believe there's a, a greater good for the human family, which involves a married heterosexual couple. So, I mean, I think this kind of, it may tie back into where we're at today, but do you think, or have you seen like a, a noticeable shift in the amount of people who are just willing to say, Hey, yes, I am a gay man or I am a gay woman because I've yeah. noticed, I mean, just, you know, I, I graduated high school, you know, what, what is probably gonna be 22 years ago, you know, yeah. this year or this month actually. Yeah. And so, man, I can, there was never like, there was maybe, you know, two or three people we thought maybe were, you know, homosexual or, you know, yeah. maybe, or who were even comfortable with admitting it. And now it's not unheard of. It's not even, it's not. Yeah. And, and I don't, uh, cause look, the way I come out on this, like, I, I treat people for uh, it's very <laughs> hey this is very basic right I think what's his right. name uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said treat people based on the content of their character right? right so that that's where I'm at that's my baseline for everything like how you are as a person I don't give a damn about your any any of your your sexuality none of that stuff how are you as a person that's all I care about um, but it, it is noticeable like it is obvious that there are more gay people today than there were and if they weren't maybe there isn't, maybe it's just because we're in a, an environment where it's more comfortable. Right. So is that yeah. something that is just the natural progression of people? And, and, in, and in that, does the church have to progress as society progresses or, 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Because uh, yeah, I think there's a, uh, I think you're right. So I, my uncle is gay. My dad's brother. I never knew until I was in college. Okay. Like, it was never discussed. My parents were not, they didn't push him out. He was a part of our family. There was no, you know, there was no ostracizing. There was no, I, I never heard a harsh word about gay people growing up. My parents yeah. were not, Same that wasn't that. there. You know, and I grew up in Oklahoma, Bible Belt. But again, we were not Baptist. We were not Baptist. Not Baptist. Yeah. Right? You guys uh, drank and danced. Right. So I never heard a, a single <laughs> discriminatory word against gays. And I didn't even hear like anti-gay jokes growing up. Like it just wasn't my parents. Really? Okay. I never heard it. I grew up in Oklahoma in the eighties. I never heard a racist word. I never heard a, a homophobic word. I just heard, we just love people and we were fine. And, and my parents were by no means progressive. Um, but looking back, we would view that at that they time. They probably would. Yeah. But we were just, we were just, I think my parents were just good people, quite frankly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but doesn't have to have a label. You can just be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but now I think the difference would be like, I would have known growing up your, your uncle is gay and, and he has a partner and this is their life. And, and I don't think my parents would have had a different opinion about him as a person. I think we just would have talked about it more. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the right answer is. Cause I think in some ways my parents were preserving for what marriage should look like. And they were, I, I, they may never, I, we've never talked about this. Cause again, you didn't talk about this back then. Right. Um, exactly. I think we just, you know, we always loved him. He was always generous. He was a good uncle. Um, you know, he's my godfather for crying out loud. So, um, but I think my parents always looked at the moral life of the person and, and that was it. So I think now it's people announce it earlier. Um, I think they, my concern as a, as a priest is people announce it and claim it as an identity very early. And I don't know that that's always a healthy thing when we're telling 13 and 14 year olds to claim their sexuality. I don't think a 13 or 14 year old has any idea sexually what's going on. I mean, like I, I was in love with Sybil Shepherd when I was 13 years old. Like <laughs> that was, that was who I thought I was supposed to marry. That was the, what I thought every woman was supposed to be, I, you know, how like, that work out. Yeah, exactly. I'm still <laughs> a priest. So here we go. So I think there's a little bit of a difference. Um, I, I don't think, I think my concern, I think when you go into the, what becomes, and again, this is the problem with the third poor, right? I, uh, so I have to be careful here because my bishop could be listening. I think my concern is for many people who want to be different than society, being gay isn't different enough anymore. So now we're looking for things that are even more different than that. And I think there's a legitimacy to people who experience the same sex attraction and choose to live that life, which was in and of itself controversial enough and different enough. And now I think we have people identifying pronouns and saying they're attracted to everything or nothing at all. And, and I think that's a reaction to people. There is a segment of the population that wants to be different. And I wonder if now we're letting go of everything. And I, and I, that's unnuanced. And let me be clear, this is me speaking, not the church, but I, I think there's something going on where people are looking at the adolescent mind in particular, where they're like, well, I want to be different. So I wonder yeah. what I could give that could be different. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Like, no, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's just amplified though. That's where I keep, that's where I keep getting, coming back to social media and how it amplifies the extreme one way or the yeah. other, whatever, whatever the extreme is, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a left thing. It doesn't have to be the right thing. It doesn't have uh -huh. to be progressive conservative. It's just mm -hmm. the, the extreme is amplified and people 
are getting conditioned to thinking it's the norm. Yeah. It's not. And that's no. why I always say, like, even when we go back to last summer and we had all these riots across the United States or in certain locations, man, I could still go outside and, and talk to my neighbor who, yeah. who thinks 100% differently from me or, or walk around and talk to just people and not have some, like, innate sense of contention between the two of us because I'm white or they're black or they're Mexican. Right. Yeah, there was yeah. none of that. It's just... Well, you know what? That may be going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin, or wherever yeah. in, in Minnesota. That's not the norm. And it gets portrayed to us and, and fed to us as if that is the actual norm, that every American is at each other's throats right now. Yeah. It's just not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's, and, and we also, again, and this is the whole div division thing, it blows people's minds because I, have gay friends and radically anti-abortion. And I mean, I'm like as extremely anti-abortion as you can be, Yeah. you know, it, but I'm also radically against the death penalty. I don't think it should be applied in the United States for American citizens under any circumstances ever. And, and that primarily is because I don't think it's ever the state's job to kill anyone, uh, but also because I think there's a racial injustice to it. That's, that's horrible. And, and so so you, people, there are people who are like, oh, but the church technically doesn't teach that capital punishment is always evil, which is true. And I'm like, yeah, but why would we ever do it as a society? Like, I'm just not for it. Like, I, I don't understand why you would think it's up to us to take that role for God. when We don't believe that we can do that in the womb. And so, so like, I'm like, yeah, I have a, that's yeah. That's where I'm conflicted. Yeah. That's where I, that's where like, I think we'll definitely differ there. Um, because it, it, to me, like, based on what you're saying is, or what I'm just, it's not what, it's what I'm yeah. hearing, right? It's what I'm interpreting. I, I, I ultimately feel God has put us on this earth to do the absolute best that we possibly can. And that's why we have free will, right? And it's, right. it's different in every location and country and everyone's going to eventually get to that point, hopefully through their system of government at some point, most aren't, we are. And we have free will. And I think in some locations, we still have the, the, the ability to institute the death penalty. Um, now, I get what you're saying. There is a disparity between, you know, the, the racial aspect or whether or not it's 100% proven and there is without a doubt. But I also feel like, to me, like the death penalty has always been well-deserved by certain types of people. And this will probably lead me into one of the questions I'll get to in, in, the, in the next part. And I don't think we take it far enough in the United States when it comes to the capital punishment, because if you rape someone, if you abuse a child, to me, those things, you don't deserve to live. Yeah. Like you don't like, there's something, whatever, I don't, you know, I'm not going to get at the root of who you are as a human, but there's something inherently wrong with you that you just don't fit into society. Hmm. And so that's my problem with why I do support. Like, I think the death penalty is, is, is a great thing. Yeah. Those people are ultimately served the justice that has been given to us, whether it's, you know, free will or not. Uh, but they've, they've earned it for lack of a better term, because they've committed in our minds, what we've conceived to be the actual ultimate crimes against people. Yeah. Like, this is the worst thing you can do to, per to someone is to, mm -hmm. is to, is to rape a, 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 to rape someone. We can't even say man or female at this point. To rape someone or to abuse a child sexually or physically, whatever. And then, right. of course, murder, like literally, like the original sin, right? You, those things are things that have proven you as or incapable of fitting into society. So what is the rehabilitation? What is that? Right. What, how do we do it here? 
by just putting you in a cell for the rest of your life. Like to me, that's, I don't see the value in that because it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a cost that's ultimately dumped on the United States or whatever country has to just pay forever. And it, how is that? What does that do? Like, what is it? Okay. You take, you took their freedom away from, but have you really? Yeah. Because they're still alive. They're still free to, to whatever it is they want to do within that, you know, they can pursue education. They can pursue whatever. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know what this person does, but you can't say you've ultimately taken their freedom away because they're still alive. Right. And they're watching TV and yeah. yeah whatever yeah. It is they're doing, they're doing, and, and they can sit there and be like, I'm going to get up tomorrow. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So, so I'll answer that from the religious side and then the natural sure. side. Yeah. So the religious side is God is the author of life. He decides when people live and die. Like that's up to God to decide. It's does the God idea- act through people though? He does act through people, but because that and, takes and, us into war and all these other yeah. things. Yeah. And I need to be clear, the church, like for example, abortion is always a crime against the innocent. The church says it can never be accepted under any circumstances. There's no exception to this. The child is always the innocent one. Right. Period. There's it's always immoral. There's never a case where it is moral. Mm-hmm. If your intention is ever to kill the child, it is not okay. With the death penalty, the church says that there are times in history and society where it has been necessary to preserve other life, almost like preemptive war theory, right? Like, you know, they're going to kill. And so you kill them in advance to save the life. Um, So the church is the church doesn't definitively say it is always immoral in the way that abortion is always immoral or murder is always immoral or rape is always immoral. The church has some things that they say are always immoral. There can never be an exception for it. The, the capital punishment is not one of them. The capital punishment has been applied justly in the church at certain times. Um, so I, I need to say that because I don't want to present that the church is saying it's never okay. What the church said is if there's a reasonable means to contain that person and allow the chance for their redemption, then it's up to God to decide when their life ends and up to the church to decide when we try to convert them. Now, how many people are we converting who are in, in prison for life? I don't know. Maybe not as many. Mm-hmm. but maybe their life existing provides a provides a good for the world beyond just them. And maybe it's literally, and this is far stretched and I'm going to go there because sometimes you got to do this. Right. But maybe it's just for the corrections officer who serves that person, despite the fact that they're the worst of humanity and realize that serving the worst of humanity is the way they find their purpose and mission. There's a good there. If that happens. Yeah, I'm going to actually ask because my, my, my dad's a retired corrections officer. So I, I, I've heard a ton from him. But no, it would be interesting to ask him that question based off of that perspective. Yeah. Because and, and 80% of the people he served are horrible human beings who were shitheads to him, who didn't yeah. respect him. And, and I get that. And I understand yeah. that. But there's also the flip side of that, which says, and, and the same thing. I mean, the Catholic Church would say you never withhold food or water from someone who's who's in a vegetative state. You can withhold, so you don't have to do life support, you don't do ventilators, all those kinds of things. Anything that's extraordinary, you don't have to do. But ordinary things like food and water, you don't starve someone to death in our view. Yeah. And that's because even if the person, as we would say, has no value to their life anymore, even their existence gives value to the people around them. And we are always a communal religion. So the nurses who care for them, the family who love them, the society that supports them, all those things matter. So there is a value to their life in some way or another. And, and so 
the same thing holds true for the condemned. Like they may have done things that mean that they have given up their ability to survive in humanity or to contribute to humanity, but even their existence allows humanity to be human. And so the corrections officer on, on, on death row is serving people and there's a good in that. And so, and we always believe in the opportunity for redemption. Like, so God forbid we take the life of someone who was innocent, like that's its own crime and that's its own issue and the racial disparity and the judicial system, which generally I'm, I'm as pro-police as any human being ever could be. Like I think police are, are incredible, like sacrificial servants to the, to the community, but there are some who are corrupt, mm-hmm. but I'm a priest. Like I get called a pedophile at least once a month, right? Because there are priests who are bad, horrible, awful people who did horrible things to children. And so I know what it means to experience the brunt of that when I'm trying to do good, the same way that cops experience the brunt of there are some bad cops. Like, so I have a particular affection, I think, uh, in that regard. I think in the justice system, we have failed people and we've believed that they've lost their humanity. And in my worldview, you can't give up your humanity even by your evil actions. So I wanted to touch, since you, you mentioned it just then, um, why is that something that seems to be, because it, it's attached, whether we like it or not, the, the pedophilia mm-hmm. aspect, right? Why is that something that has taken yeah. root and kind of, it's persisted for a very long time. So what, what yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how to word the question, but why is that something that exists in the priesthood, I would say. Sure. It's, and it's a legitimate and fair question. I'm never offended by it because yeah. it's horrible. Right. And, and, it, and it's, it's something that when you take people who are put in a position of spiritual, what I would, power is the best way to say it. But yeah, then, it's a position uh, of trust, right? It's a position of trust. That's a better yeah. way to say it. Um, and, and you give that to them and then they abuse that trust in a way that allows them to, to hurt people in, in the worst of ways. I mean, rape is horrible. Child abuse is worse. Like I, yeah, I just, it is. Yeah. And, it, and because it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the sense of, a, with anyone who is anyone that's a tangent, but I think it's worse. I, I really do view it as, as the absolute worst thing because they're the most innocent and vulnerable right. and they deserve anyone who is older than them to protect them. And, and that fails. Um, I think that the real issue, so statistically speaking, and I make no defense for those who were harmed by the church, it's, it's disgusting and awful. Um, the percentage wise is greater in boy scout leaders and teachers and uncles and cousins than it is in the priesthood. The, the biggest <laughs> issue in the church is the church covered it up. Yeah. And, and they moved priests around. Now at the time they were told, Oh, you send them off for treatment and they're fine. Like psychologists generally did this, whether it was a priest or not a priest, they said, Oh, you get them some treatment and then, and it's fine. You move them somewhere. So there's not a scandal. And so the church covered it up and that's the real crime. I think, you know, obviously child abuse is always significant and awful. I think our issue in the church is that we didn't acknowledge it as the problem that it was. And the Catholic church has always been advanced in science. People don't think that about us, but we have, we invented the big bang theory. Like we're pro science as much as anyone else. We're the number one provider for fertility services for people who want to conceive, but can't like we're on top of it scientifically, right? We get it. 
but we failed in that regard. We followed what the general psychological sciences were saying at the time, which was it could be treated and moved on. And then we covered it up so that people would think their priest was fine. And that was, that was in, many of you, in many ways the greater sin, and that allowed those who were perpetrators of the abuse to continue that abuse. And that's a horrific crime. And I think because of that, we got a stigma that is, is legitimate. I mean, people were hurt by the hands of priests and then further by the hands of bishops who moved them around and trusted that psychologists were right. And we were wrong and we got it wrong. And, and every victim of, of priest sexual abuse deserves our greatest penance. Like we'll never make up for that. We can never fix it yeah. uh, except moving forward and, and changing it. But it's, it's a horrible thing that happened in the church it's not any greater in the church than it is in the family or in the schools or in the community. But we should have been above the board beyond all those because we're supposed to care for the most vulnerable and we failed it. Yeah. I think it just speaks to just, just, it's just the flaws of man at this point. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like our, our sins aren't going away. They're not, it's just a struggle. I think for the people who are unfortunately, I don't even know how to say it. I really don't. I really don't know how to say it at this point after, yeah. you know, a, a few. But um, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just a sad fact that this remains in society. And I think society's just dealt an, a, a constant, uh, it's, it's dealt constant challenges that are perpetually being or are supposed to be becoming overcome. And yeah. there's just a, a very small portion who can't and inflict the pain that we just described on the, on the, some of the, the people who have to unfortunately go through that. Right. And yeah, I don't know, because it, it, this is, you know, when, whenever you think religion or whenever you think about, you know, what the hell are we doing here? What, what, what's the purpose of life? Like these are things that just hurt your head. You never really come up with answers, right? Yeah. You just don't, there's no answers. You just, you, you don't have an answer. You just have to kind of, you, you're going through it the best that you can each day. And, and you approach life differently than I do because of your faith. And, um, but yeah, I think that's just kind of where we're at, and and I know the the negative gets amplified to uh, 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 heightened levels at this point, especially with social media because of algorithms or whatever it is you want to say that allows these things to kind of take root in the the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, I'll debunk that a little bit though, and I'll say yes, I think the media is happy to accuse a priest and to make the stereotype about yeah. a priest, but quite frankly, we deserve it. Like. We're, the percentages are not any higher than society. In fact, they're less. I mean, school teachers are the worst. And, and yeah. well, actually, that's not true. Uncles and other relatives are the worst. And then school teachers. But then there's scout leaders and camp masters and all those other groups. But we should be held to a higher standard. Like we're standing up as a moral authority and saying what's right and wrong in the world. And people are told to trust us as the path to what is eternal life for them. We should be held to a higher standard as priests. Like we should be held to a higher standard than a teacher because we're telling people not about this life, but about the next. So I, I think that the, I think the stereotype and the media attention is is biased. I think it's strongly against the church, but I think the standard should be higher for priests. So I think the ways that we have failed as priests, we deserve a, we should give a deeper apology and we deserve a greater penance because we should be held to a higher standard. So I think the next logical transition would be to ask, um, 
how have you managed? I mean, I know why, but I just want to know, like, are you forced to root for the most underachieving college football program in the United States? Notre Dame? Notre Dame? Dame. Oklahoma or Notre Dame? No, no. Oklahoma has actually been relevant lately. Like Notre Dame gets there just based off of their name, but they always get destroyed. All right. So at least Oklahoma is still producing like number one quarterbacks, you know, Baker Mayfield and, and Kyler Murray. And what's this guy's name? This guy's got this crazy name that's coming out next year. Who's a quarterback? uh, uh, Like a snake or something. (laughs) What's this dude's name? Oh man. uh, It's not hitting me right now. It will be. I'm going to look this up. It's just, um, it's such a, it's such a college football name. It is. And I want to think of it before you look is it, it up. Spencer Rattler or something like that. Yeah. Rattler. Yeah. I said snake. There you go. Rattler. You got it. Yeah. So here's what I'll say. So I'm <laughs> like, I grew up in Oklahoma. We had, yeah. and, and I've never been an NFL guy. If I had to have picked a team, it was the Dallas Cowboys because they were geographically the closest and I, and I'm, and I'm with you now. <laughs> Awful. Um, but it was, you know, that was all I had. Right. So, yeah. so Oklahoma football through and through, and I didn't really care about football until college and, and I didn't go to yeah. college in Oklahoma, but it, it just was, that was when I started to care about football and spent a lot more time. I grew up in Oklahoma where my high school stadium seats 20,000 people. Like yeah, that's, that's another world. Like it's if, another world not from and that part of the country. Football. You don't understand. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> you really there, and, and my dad, was the announcer and my mom was his spotter for 25 years in my high school. Like it was our life. Friday night was everything for football. And our house growing up smelled like pizza hut. Cause my mom wasn't cooking and Drapar <laughs> Noir cologne. Because the boys were going out. Our teenage angst was out on the prowl. Oh yeah. That's middle school game. cologne right there. <laughs> yeah. And so Oklahoma football was my life. Like Brian Bosworth was my hero. Yeah, There you go. I had two posters on my, in, on my wall. Sybil Shepherd and Brian Bosworth. Like, right. Yeah. That was it. That was and one of my favorite movies to watch when he was when he was done with football with Stone Cold. There you go. See, yeah. you're you're in. And right. uh, I love Bosworth. Blonde hair. I mean, that was me. I had the same haircut. I didn't have the mullet piece, but I had the spike. Not quite, but you could do it. You could do I could. it. I could pull it I off. Could, as is evidence by my bald <laughs> head. But, uh, so so college what was it? And then I became a Catholic and like Notre Dame means our lady. Like, are you going to cheer against the blessed mother's football team? Like she bore Jesus for us. Like, so I, so became allegedly a, what's that? <laughs> I said, allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. that's a two man job. Yeah. Three man. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so to me, it was like, Oh no, I'm a Catholic. What do I do? And Oklahoma and Notre Dame played each other. And my brother forever worked for Nike. And he's like, Hey, I can get you tickets to Notre Dame, Oklahoma. We're going to go. Who are you cheering for? And I'm like, look, between Oklahoma and our ladies team, you don't cheer against the mother of God. Like I, I got to stick with it. And uh, so it's, a, it's a constant conflict in me. So Oklahoma, I can back up any day in football, mm. Notre Dame overrated fair statement. Yeah. occasionally really great but no they're, they're good every year but it, you know they, they always get yeah they're not good every year and then they get they get crushed so so anyway the reason i have disdain for notre dame is i grew up a, a college football uh fan of michigan 
Oh, Michigan always, you know, yeah, Michigan traditionally used to always play. We got through. Look, look at what we got through. We got through. And look, I'm a UCF fan more than anything at this point, because that's where I went to. That's where I ultimately graduated from. So UCF is actually good now. So it's cool. But no, I did grow up a Michigan fan. It wasn't against Notre Dame. It was primarily because my brother growing up was a Washington Huskies fan and Michigan Ah. was always playing them in the Rose Bowl. And I just wanted to be contrarian to my brother. So there you go. Uh, But no, I grew up to some good Michigan teams, you know, Charles Woodson, the Mm -hmm. the national championship, the last time they won a national championship in 97. Because Michigan, don't get me wrong. Michigan is Notre Dame at this point. Like they're all just living off a past legacy. They're not good. They're not good. Stomped by... When I went through high school, they were the team stomping Ohio State. They have not beaten Ohio State more than – well, I think they beat them once like 12 years ago or whatever. You're going to get me on my rant about Urban Meyer. And oh, my goodness. Uh, you know what? Program. But Michigan is the Michigan is Notre Dame. They're living off a, a, a legacy from 70 years ago, and they're not competitive with Ohio State. It's not even – People like every year when Michigan plays Ohio State, it's like, oh yeah, it's the big, the greatest rival in college football. No, a rivalry implies that both teams can win. Yeah, okay, yeah. Ohio yeah. State is not at threat. It's not a rivalry. <laughs> there you go. It's not, and it hurts me to say that because I hate Ohio State, even though my Bears just drafted Justin Fields, so now I'm a big Justin. Oh, Fields. you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm happy Wait, about Bears. That, yeah, Bears are your team. Yeah, I'm a Bears fan. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of Bears fans are Notre Dame fans. So I do. Yeah, not- that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's fair. No, uh, I grew up a Bears fan. My, all my family's uh, Eagles fans. My brother's a Seahawks fan. And my dad and I were the Bears fans. New so, Bears. Good for you. Yeah. Um, so that's where I'm at. Cause I just, uh, you know, I look at this year and I'm. How I just, old are I, you? How old are you? Right now? 40. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause I mean, I grew up Super Bowl shuffle. Like, I'm yeah. like. So that's yeah. what my dad, that's what made my dad become a Bears fan. And gotcha. So, okay. You know, he was Bears fan. I was like, oh, well, I just want to do what my dad does. So, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good for you. You're a good boy. You did yeah, good. I had you a dad. I had a dad who cared. It was great. Here's uh, what I'll say about Notre Dame. There's like, first of all, they announced at the, at the beginning, middle, and end of the game, mass will be 20 minutes after this game is did over. they really? I'm a Catholic yeah. priest. Come on. I got to be on. I got to be on board for that. It's our ladies' university, but you've, yes. you've named it exactly. We're writing a legacy right now. But that's the, that's the beauty of college football versus even the NFL. And don't but, is it, but is it that strict of a religious school? Because they are a great school. Let, let, let's take sports out of it. Like they're, right. you know, they're, they're it's legitimate. A, it's a great school. Um, I would say that they are not authentically Catholic the way oh, that yeah. I wish that they were, for is sure. Is it required if you're a student to go to Mass? Do you have to you be Catholic to, to, to go there? You have to take religion. Okay. Um, but you don't have to be a Catholic to go there because I'm pretty sure the no. football team's not Catholic. Correct. Correct. <laughs> you got that right. Nobody, I mean, Manti Teo, nobody even knows if he even exists. He could be a cartoon character for crying out loud. Like, <laughs> that was, I mean, you got catfished and you're on national television. I don't yeah. Let's say like he just signed with the bears last year, I think. For yeah. Like, yeah. Poor guy. And he hasn't played a game since, but you know, he was a great so, linebacker though. Right. Great so college it, linebacker. Right. It ends. But up. if you look at Notre Dame, like there is a Catholic chapel in every dorm. There's a mass in every dorm. Like there is a Catholic life on that campus. The overwhelming majority of kids who are there want to do good. We get a lot of priests out of there, a lot of nuns out of there. Um, so yes, it is a Catholic school. They do some things as an institution. I'm I'm against. We should have never honored Obama. We should have never, you know, there's things we should have never done as a Catholic institution. I say we like I'm a part of them yeah. because of my football allegiance to them. <laughs> uh, but 
but yes, they are an authentically Catholic school. They teach good theology. Hey, keep going. No, you're right. But keep going on that. Yeah. So, uh, well, where are you going? You got a little toilet break there. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Carry on. But no, wait, what was this Obama thing you brought up? All right, carry on. So uh, when Obama was president, Notre Dame awarded him with their highest honor in presidential or in, uh, in university award, which gave uh, a commendation toward him as a, as, a, as, a, as a kind of contributor to society that seems very contrary to the life of the Catholic church because he's so adamantly opposed to the church, particularly on abortion and religious freedom. And so the church opposed it. And so did I, and it became a big issue in the Catholic world. No one cares about this unless you're in the Catholic world. But if you are in the Catholic world, this is egregiously against what a Catholic university should do. Every Catholic university operates in the name of the church and shouldn't live in a way that's contrary to it. And some say providing an honor to him is a good thing because he does a lot of good for the country because he's the president and sacrificed eight years of his life. Many in the church say he doesn't deserve a Catholic honor. There it is. All right. I gave the summary for your listeners. Uh, I do appreciate that. That was, yeah. Uh, I guess I just, I think it's just kind of more in line with where we're trending as a pop culture society. I think that's where we're yeah. at. You know, and, and unfortunately we're making it very like, oh, what, what's the letter next to you? Oh, no, sorry, man. We can't do it. You, you got the wrong letter next to your name. So yeah, that's and that's, in, and that's entirely true. And it's, you know, I always say people are always surprised to hear this, but if you go to a Catholic parish anywhere in the country, the Catholic parish looks exactly like the country. Yeah. So we're a little more politically conservative only because of certain issues regarding the dignity of human life. Um, but, you know, during the whole Black Lives Matter thing, like Catholics are adamantly against racism. Like we have always been, we were the first to integrate, Catholic schools were the first to integrate in the United States far before Brown versus Board of Education. Like we've always been cutting edge on civil rights. We were adamantly against the Vietnam War, which I don't know that I would have been, but the church was. So we've always been a civil rights kind of a, a group in the church and in the world. But when you go to, in my pews, Half the country, it's we follow exactly what the country did. A little bit more of a pro-life vote, but for the most part, we're generally the people. And so in, in any controversial issue, my pews are filled with people that are exactly make up the demographic of the country. And, uh, and that's generally true everywhere. So I, I think when you look at a divided country, that means you have a divided church. Yeah. Half the country thinks we should give Biden Holy Communion and half the, and half the Catholic church doesn't think we should because of his stance on abortion and other religious liberty issues. So it's, there's always a division there. There's always a tension. That's why we have the gift of a church who says, this is the answer and this is what we do. Um, and, and in many ways, that's where I think organized religion is a good thing because you have someone to trust that makes the answer for you in some ways with the gift of what we would say is the Holy spirit or others would say prudence. So anyway, that was a tangent. Well, so, I mean, because I, I keep bringing this up and I know I keep saying it, but like based on what you're saying, like, so is free will a gift from God or is free will just kind of where we're at because we're fortunate enough to be blessed in the United States? Abs so no, free will is a gift from God. I mean, that starts with the garden, right? So God gives us free will because otherwise he made us for himself. So if he gave us no free will, he creates Adam and Eve and he says, you'll love me. You'll never take the fruit from the garden of, you know, the, the forbidden fruit. You'll never take from the garden of, 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 uh, of, of good knowledge. And they can only choose what is good. They can only choose God. Well, then he's created them only to praise and love him. 
But God gains nothing by creating us. He didn't do it for him. He did it for us. So if he doesn't give us free will, then there's no choice. He made puppets to love him. And then that's selfish and God can't be selfish. So free will is an answer to who we are as a people. Without it, there's no reason to exist because it's only for God's benefit and God's not selfish. He wouldn't create us just to love him. So yeah, that's a, a very that's quick good. answer. That's very good. It's very good. Um, but anyway, Notre Dame football is a disaster. I agree. But I mean, God love Brian Kelly because he came on the scene. He was a disaster <laughs> of a human being. He was cussing up a storm, living a horrible life. And then they were like, no, 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 we're Catholic. He talked like that and he fixed it. <laughs> now he didn't fix his football team or his recruiting. And, and <laughs> but then again, I'm an Oklahoma like fan. 10 games every year. So he doesn't have to do anything else. Like, right. for, for, but that's my problem is, uh, you know, I think football is just taking a shift. So when you go back to the history of these major college football powers, you know, a few of them have managed to survive about Alabama, mainly because they got, disgusting uh, horrible people well Everyone. they got nick saban right so that's right. what saved them because narcissistic horrible right? human and ucf being. blew the doors off of alabama in a college right. football game right in the uh, early 90s um ohio state alabama loses padre rejoices yeah uh ohio state's managed to survive but you know most of these major programs like notre dame michigan you know go those ohio state, whatever they were mainly the ones that were so good because they were the only ones on TV, right? So if you're a yeah. college kid and all you want to do is make it to the NFL, you need to get yep. the attention of scouts. Where are you going to go play? Well, you got to go play on these schools because they're on TV. Not yep. everybody's on TV. Yep. Every, every conference has a cable deal. Like you don't have to go to these huge powers. Now, don't get me wrong. Alabama is still putting out like eight first round draft picks every year, but a lot of those draft picks are dispersed over you know, yeah. other schools, right? It's not like, it's not, you don't have to go to one of those schools to make it to the NFL because you are going to be on TV no matter what. Uh, it doesn't I need to clarify. I just called Nick Saban a narcissist. The man goes to daily mass. He's a faithful Catholic. He's doesn't an incredibly good. Yeah. That doesn't mean he's not a narcissist. No, it, it doesn't mean he's not a horrible man. I think he's a, I think he's very, he's like, he's like Belichick. He's the same guy just in college. It's, it, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. <laughs> and, and actually, I think deep down he's a good human being who wants good yeah, for his players. They are. But I hate everything about Alabama and the entire institution. That's only because and he's it, not Notre Dame's coach. Because if he's right, exactly. coach, well, and really because he's winning Oklahoma. a national title every other year, you'd be cool yeah. with it. And because every time Oklahoma has a running for the national title, I'm like, oh God, <laughs> then we're gonna have to play Alabama. Well, I mean, Oklahoma's problem in college football is they they don't have any players who can play defense. Like I don't get outside of like. Like Al Oklahoma can score 60 points every game, but they're going to give up 61. Like it makes exactly. no sense. how do you have the best possible athletes on offense, but you can't teach your defense how to tackle or play a coverage. It makes no sense. What? So it really doesn't. So every priest says mass every day, but it's not always a public mass. Like some days there's not one scheduled at the parish or whatever. So it, there's on my Fridays, my day off, I, I, I work on my day off, but yeah, but there's no scheduled mass. So I say mass by myself in my chapel, in my house, I celebrate a mass for whatever intention and the number of times I've prayed my intention for Bob Stoops or for Lincoln Riley, for them to find a defense like, and St. Anthony is the patron of lost items in, in the Catholic tradition. If you lose your car keys, you say, <laughs> you know, Tony, Tony, help me. Something's lost and can't be found. Like you, you pray this prayer. You ask St. Anthony to help. Yeah. And the number of times I've prayed for St. Anthony to find a defense for Oklahoma. Why is this our case? 
why you, is this if it? just if you just play a nice nickel cover five or cover three you'd be fine guys but you don't and why somehow you, they still put out like first round draft talent on the defensive line which makes no and, sense and let me tell you we'll talk about they're living on their legacy but can't do anything can we take a moment to talk about the evil satanic university of texas but, <laughs> oh god they've been so bad for so long now i like I'm it you. the last time they were good was i think when i was in iraq they played michigan yeah, 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 yeah. That mm-hmm. was a great game. Vince Young was leaving. Yeah, but they yeah, yeah, yeah. Vince Young, L. Colt McCoy came after him. They were still pretty good with him. But ever since Colt McCoy left, yeah, they've been, you know, it's always like, oh, this is the hire or this is the quarterback, and they still can't do anything. And let me be clear, I've said several times I don't speak for the Universal Church on this podcast. I speak only <laughs> for myself. Like I've made that disclaimer three times. Correct. I will say this formally for the sake of the Universal Church. This is the horned head of Satan. That's what it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's in metal everywhere. I, if you're a heavy metal fan, like we do this because this is yeah, the, the horned head of Satan. Right? Ah, yeah. God does not intend it. It is nothing but evil. Well, and if you if you don't know this is a joke, you're an idiot. But uh, <laughs> I love you. You were creating God's image and likeness. I love you. But you're still an idiot. Yeah, but 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 Texas Texas goes up there with Michigan and Notre Dame, right? Like they're yeah, yeah, no, they're one of the blue bloods, the old powers. Um, yeah, which I hate. I hate like like oh, the traditional like traditional powers. You know, yeah. Well, that doesn't matter if you don't win anymore. Right. Well, and when the Big Twelve wasn't twelve, and the Big Ten wasn't ten, and it was actually ten. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Big Eight, right? And then it became the Big Twelve. Right. Yeah. It's uh, and so when we lost all the sense of that, and and BCS could be again another podcast, but yeah, uh, but I could like again, football is the thing I'm I'm willing to fight with anyone about at any time, and uh, that's good, and uh, and it's fantastic, and and I care nothing about the NFL, uh, which is yeah. And I never, I grew up without it. Like my parents were Packers fans because my mom grew up in Wisconsin, but it was nominal. And, uh, and so college football was like high school was it. Oh yeah. I was going to say you, you grew up in that where high school football is very powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. but no, like you kind of grew up where, cause college football is very tribal, right? The NFL is too. Don't get me wrong, but NFL is, their fans are kind of spread out. Whereas college football, it's like, there's people that are diehard fans of schools that they never went to. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, this is it. it makes and when sense. I meet people in Virginia from Oklahoma, the first question I say is Oklahoma or Oklahoma state. And yeah. they'll be like, Oh, you know, and, and I'll, and I'll fight I with mean, them. When I was a dress sergeant, we were in at Fort Benning in Georgia, we were living yeah. in Phoenix city in Alabama. So right on the border, but you go into any store in Alabama and it's nothing but Auburn and Alabama. Yeah. Yep. Like you have to make a choice and they're going to help you with that because we're going to, we're going to patronize, you know, yeah, the things that you can absolutely. Find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I interviewed a teacher this week to hire my, in our Catholic school and she's from Alabama. And I said, find out if she's Alabama or Auburn and sister principal, the nun who runs our school, yeah. who's the holiest woman in the world who I literally to this day, my greatest accomplishment is I've never cussed in front of her, <laughs> which is an incredible accomplishment. Self-praise is no praise, but I've done it. And, uh, and, and she, she was like, oh, I don't have any idea. She's from Alabama. I'm like, that doesn't answer the question. Is she Auburn or Alabama? This matters. Yep. She's like, I found out it's Auburn. I'm like, okay, you can hire her. She's good. Like, You're okay. good to go. Auburn. Yeah, we're good. We're okay. Yep. UCF's, UCF's coach right now, Gene Chizik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Terrible last name, though. It's, it's too close to a curse word of some sort. I'm not sure which one, but it is. It's Chizik. 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 
I'm going to stop now because I'm a celebrity. <laughs> All right. So you're going to stop. We're going to stop. All right. That's Father Dan Beeman. We'll probably get him on here. I'm going to try and get you on here during football season so we can have a whole entirely separate uh, podcast episode. I have a better stuff. proposal. Let's yeah, meet in Kentucky and do it live. Okay. Are you like, in Kentucky? What's that? Are you in Kentucky? No, but I'll meet you there. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. Yeah. We'll do it live. Yeah, well, my parents are in Tennessee, so next time I'm there, we'll we'll do that. We'll do that. Even we'll better. But I mean, like your knowledge of bourbon is yeah. you have wisdom. You're Yoda to me on this. That's stuff. true. I am. Like, I You're right. I am. I am. I am. I am the Yoda of bourbon. You're right. No. Yeah, and and so <laughs> we'll meet. You'll show me the way. I'll baptize you. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. It's all gonna work out. You're already baptized, though, right? I'm pretty sure I was when I was a wee lad. Find out about that. If I not, think I was. We'll find some water. We'll drink some bourbon. I'll baptize you. <laughs> Please you'll baptize me in bourbon. It has you'll water. teach me the ways. Yeah, and we'll do that. Totally. I show up to a to a to any distillery 50-50. They're a Catholic who owns it because it's the Bible <laughs> Belt and Protestants don't do the liquor. That's true. That's very true. And they see the collar and they roll out the red carpet yep. and then you know the knowledge and and great things can happen here. I hope you guys see this is how it happens. This is how it starts right here. This is it, right? This, this is, is it. Good job. All right, Father. We will do that. I'll, I'll touch base when I get to Kentucky, and we will meet, and we will imbibe with the finest American spirit known to man, which is bourbon. Cheers. <laughs> All right. Remember, uh, you can follow Father Beeman at what well, you've uh, – your name now is – So you need, the, you need the answer for this. It's not what you think. Yeah, go ahead. So in the line of Mel – yeah, that's at in the line of Mel is where you can follow follow yeah. Father Beeman and then not Mel Gibson. Let's no. be clear, not Mel Gibson. Uh-uh. Uh, so try to shorten this. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. So like the ancient priests of of the Jewish religion sacrificed animals, right? They would sacrifice animals at the altar. The first Jewish priest who ever took bread and wine as the sacrifice was a priest called Melchizedek. And so we stand in the line of the priest Melchizedek who used bread and wine rather than an animal, totally inside Catholic. This is created yeah. Twitter handle in 2009 and everybody's like, Oh geez, we don't know what this means. And so most people think I have some weird affection for Mel Gibson. Not <laughs> at all. If you can get your lore to one day read about how you were all about bread and bourbon, I think that'd be great. Cause wine That's is so fantastic. like traditional. It's in every it's all in it's in all the, let's it's get all throughout it. the Bible. Let's, let's get it about bourbon. So in 22, whatever, 21, whatever. Like, in the you line know, of Father Beeman, he was the in one. The line of Beeman. He was the patron saint of bourbon. I'm 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 all on board for it. So anyway. <laughs> all right. So you can follow Father Beeman at in the line of Mel, right? Yep, you got I it. said that right. Okay, great. And then you can always follow me at Eric TWBB for There Will Be Bourbon. All right, we will see you guys in, uh, I don't know, whenever we decide to make another episode. Probably next Who week. Knows? Until then, uh, drink more bourbon. All right, it's America's spirit. We're all about America here. All right. Cheers. The end. <laughs>